This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman. And Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at Kevin Kautzman and at Brad Kelly. We're back with another action-packed episode of the podcast about the dark side of creativity. I'm Kevin Couchman. This is Art of Darkness, and I'm joined by my podcast husband, the one and only Brad Kelly. Brad, how are you? <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm pretty good. That always makes me slightly uncomfortable, but I also like it. It's weird, but that's where the funny comes from. <laughs> That's where the That's chuckle right. lives. That's it's a little, right. hey, you know, how many, how many uh, podcasts are you going to do with how many people? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not like a yeah. polyamorous podcast guy. I'm we, pretty, I, I yeah. think it's serious, you know. We are available for other podcasts. We do swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, but so, half of the mm-hmm. point of us coming on anybody else's show is promoting this show. So Yes. Yeah. And if you invite us on, we will plug Art of Darkness at Art of Dark Pod artofdarkpod.com now with a telegram channel we're or a a group a very small group at as of now because we just started it today but we're going to start to promote that so if you're interested in joining us on telegram which is a very fun app you can find it uh, i think it's t.me slash art of dark pod you can also go to the website at art of it's uh, the website is at art of darkpod.com. And then of course, I would be remiss not to mention our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash art of dark pod. We definitely want your support. We need your support. A lot of effort goes into making these shows, lining up the guests when we have them. And of course, we hope you'll you'll support independent media. Brad and I will never be underwritten by Pfizer or any other, any right. other company uh, quite that way. And so and we hope you will support us. The Patreon subscribers get an extra 20 or 30 minutes for every episode. We call those after dark episodes. Uh, and I think it's fair to say today we're going back to our roots, mm-hmm. just you and me yeah. alone, yeah. together, yeah. virtually. We don't yeah. even have to record it, Kevin. You know, yeah, we could- <laughs> no, we would just do this. That was, that was always the pitch of the show <laughs> right. is that we would do this anyway. So let's yeah. just put it, let's lay down a track, yeah. as the kids say. Yeah. Uh, and so this is the podcast about the dark side of creativity. We've, we've had a lot of great guests on. We've done darkroom episodes with people where we take the subject from one of our core episodes and talk about uh, that further. We did a couple of those while I was down in Miami. I'm back in Minnesota now in the home studio and we are ready to, ready to create another core episode. And this is a milestone because this is the first artist who we're doing roughly a year plus mm-hmm. after they passed away. Yeah. This is their most who, contemporaneous artist for yes. sure. Yeah. So it's just you and me and who are we talking about today, Brad? Kevin, we are talking the clever nerd, the best MC with no chain you ever heard. We're talking the villain man with krills in his hand who won't stop rock until he clocked in a gazillion grand. 
We're talking the man with more soul than a sock with a hole, the man with aching hands from raking in grands and breaking in mic stands, the super MF villain, aka Zevlov X, aka MF Doom, aka Victor, aka Victor Vaughn, aka Metal Fingers, aka King Ghidra, aka Daniel Dumoulay. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. After you who's last, Doom, he's the worst known. MF Doom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked about this one for a couple of reasons. I've been an MF Doom fan for literally since I was talking to a friend of mine. I remember driving around when I still lived with my parents, right? Driving around with a buddy of mine, maybe having a a, a little uh, party favor and listening to the Mad Villain album shortly after it had come out. I don't even know how I heard about it. I was a big hip-hop head at that time, and still kind of am to a certain extent, um, and just falling in love with the Mad Villain album, and I've been a fan ever since. So this is exciting. It broke my heart when I heard that MF Doom died, but also to do an episode on him and really dig into his life was, was edifying for me. And it actually helped me feel like I, maybe this is weird to say, it helped me process that little bit of grief i had about this this artist that i've been a fan of for a long time so that's that's beautiful man i think yeah. he would like that that opening yeah. and that tribute yeah. and yeah. is the album called mad villainy or is it's, the album uh, called it's, the album's called mad villainy he was uh, at the, it, the t- technically the artist's name for that album is mad villain um because uh-huh. it's it's him and, and the producer mad lib so anytime uh-huh. he did an album that was going to be collaborative with like a single producer it was under some kind of duo name that had Fun. doom in it. Yeah. Yeah. Doom. Yeah. 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 He, uh, that thing you just said about processing too, I look forward to doing some episodes like that. I got a little taste of that with Oscar Wilde, even though mm. maybe not, obviously not contemporary. So there's right. maybe not the same emotional attachment, but Bowie doing yeah. Bowie is going to feel yeah. like, Big air. And I feel like MF Doom is pretty big air here too, especially because of all the mystery around Mm -hmm. him. Well, that was one thing that made it exciting because he's a hard guy to find out much about, to be honest. Like, and it's weird because he's the most contemporaneous, as I said, you know, died and died on Halloween of of 2020. Um, And you can't, I, I know more about James Joyce than I know about MF Doom. You know, Fascinating. It's, it's, well, and, and that yeah. leads into our classic first question, question which I think you need to ask yeah. me to stay Kevin, on track. What do yeah. You, yeah, Kevin, what do you know about MF Doom? Uh, the metal face villain. He has the, uh, the metal face, I don't know what it is, the mask, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he has that great little cameo on the Gorilla's Masterpiece mm-hmm. on Demon Days. November uh, has come. Yeah, which is still a great album. Yep. Uh, and what, what, what year did that album come out? That would have been, that had to have been between 2005 and 2010. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great album of that decade. Mm-hmm. That captured a moment. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I know the Mad Villain album. I mm-hmm. listened to Mmm Food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would not call myself a super fan by any mm-hmm. means. I know that he, for some reason, I think he was from london but lived in new york yeah he was kind of i guess uh international in that way but i don't really know uh and then we'll talk about that yep obviously just an incredibly talented clever rapper with lyrics that are just 
you can pour over them. They are, he probably has more in common with Joyce than some other rappers. Yeah, that's yeah. what was kind of interesting. I got thinking about today, I was doing two things. I was coming up with questions and, and discussion points for our dark room episode on Joyce tomorrow. And I'm thinking about MF Doom. And I realized the lines were a lot blurrier between these two guys than, than I would have. See, and that's something I love that. See, I love that. Yeah, Yeah. the wordplay and the Mm -hmm. also when I think of him, there was the adult swim connection too. Yes, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then that that mad uh, that mad villain record is all time great hip hop record. One of the Mm -hmm. one of the great albums. And it kind of marries like an experimental Beatles type aesthetic Mm -hmm. with with hip hop. And yeah. old school, old school hip hop. Yeah, and yep. it's the kind of record. It it did become a bit of a cliche because it was the kind of record that like white Bushwick hipsters would listen to and say, sure. "Oh, I'm in the rap." Uh, yeah. But it's it's genuinely a good record. I mean, it's a great album. Mm-hmm. And and here's the other thing, dude was funny. Yes, he that's had the a key. Great sense of humor. Yeah, and I whenever I put on one of his tracks, one of his albums tracks i i I smile he's funny i can tell he's he's winking a lot and i really really like that that's what i know about mf doom yeah yeah okay no that's all that's all good yeah and and you gotta you can't this is art of darkness and we're gonna talk about some darkness in his life and there's some real darkness in his life no question um but his humor is is you know if he wasn't a, a an artist kind of obsessed with the interaction of syllables, he probably could have been a stand-up comedian or like a skit writer or a sketch writer or something along those lines. I think he had that level of sophisticated, clever humor for sure. So um, for folks, we're going to dive right into it. And that's a great intro, Kevin, because I'm glad you, you're a fan, but, but, but not enough, not, you don't have the deep enough digging into it that I can't surprise you. So I think this is going to be really good. Um, so let me give, let's just do a, um, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to read some lyrics and here's the thing. If you are coming from this and you're listening to this episode because you've been a fan of us doing Franz Kafka and Stanley Kubrick and, and James Joyce and Sarah Kane and Virginia Woolf and these, these, these artists who are, you know, we think of as being sophisticated. Um, you might have some reticence about this topic and maybe some reticence about the art. I hope that's not the case. Um, I will say when I read these lyrics, you have to understand that they're coming in the context of music. So when you read them, you're not getting the full thing. When you read them, I'm giving you like 10% of the experience of listening to them. And I'm not going to embarrass myself and try to rap them. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? I'm just going to read them. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I'm not a rapper, the, man. On, you know the I mean? a- on the After Dark episode, okay. you're going to attempt to rap one of them. Okay, okay yes. got it. And right, I am also right. going to do a live response to a deep cut. Yes. This is on our Patreon, mm-hmm. uh, patreon.com slash art of dark pods support the show. Yeah. So with all that said, I want to, I want to read one verse just to get us into the mindset. Hopefully this will kind of get people who are MF doom fans will recognize it. And people who aren't, maybe they'll start to understand kind of what we're talking about in terms of the wordplay, in terms of the, the density of just syllabic interaction that's going on here. Um, So this is from uh, the track raid on the Mad Villainy album. 
quick verse. I'm just going to read it to you. <clears throat> How doom hold heat and preach nonviolence? Shh, he, he about to start the speech. Come on, silence. On one starry night, I saw the light, heard a voice that, that sounded like Barry White said, sure, you're right. Don't let me find out who tried to bite. They better off going to fly a kite in a firefight during a tornado time with no coat than I caught you. Wrote the book on rhymes and note from the author. With no headshot, he said it's been a while. Got a breadwinner style to get an inner child a thinner smile. And that's no exaggeration. The doctor told the patient, it's all in your imagination, Egro. That's not what he said. He doesn't say Egro. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what did he know about the buttery flow? He need to cut the ego. Trippin'. To date, the metal fellow been ripping flows since New York plates was ghetto yellow with broke blue writing. This is too exciting. Folks leave out the show feeling truly enlightened. They say the villain been spitting enough lightning to rock shock the boogie down to Brighton. All right, I, then. then. <laughs> I know that. That's a great. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot to unpack. There's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, that, it gives you the sense of kind of how I feel like that's a, that's a, I'm not going to tell you that's the best MF Doom verse. I'm not convinced that it is. It's a good one, but I think that is a good indication to how he puts something together and how something feels and sounds and where he looks for places of interaction and all of that. So that's just kind of to set the mood here. So that's from the Mad Villainy album that came out in 2003. Now, this is what some people, sort of casual fans, might not know. Um, he had an entire career before he was MF Doom. Okay, so we're going to go back all the way to the beginning now. July 13th, 1971. Excuse me. MF Doom is born Daniel Dumoulay, right? So the Doom comes from the fact that his name is Dumoulay. Um, he's born in London uh, uh, to... Um, I think his dad was Trinidadian or his mother was Trinidadian or something like that. They weren't yeah, actually yeah. Londoners. They were, okay. they just happened to be there when they gave birth to, to, to Daniel, to doom. Okay. Um, so they, they, they moved back to the United States shortly after his birth and he's not an American citizen. And this is going to be important later. Um, they moved to, uh, they live in a couple of parts of, of sort of suburban New York, I guess you would call it, uh, primarily Freeport and um, Long Beach on Long Island in, in okay. New York. Um, yeah. He's the oldest, uh, Doom is the oldest sibling of, uh, he's got a younger brother named Dimbaza and an another brother named, and I, I try, I'm trying to get this as right as I can, another brother named Dingalizwe um, and a okay. younger sister named Tangi. Okay. Um, so when they're fairly young, the parents split up. I don't have a lot of details on that, but suffice to say that he was raised the whole, all the kids were raised by their mother, by herself. Um, mm. funny story is they lived down the street from Debbie Allen, who was um, on the TV show fame. So they kind of had this like B celebrity in down the street from them, which I think is kind of funny. Um, now he came in now in 1971. Hip-hop is basically invented as a genre in the very late 70s, right, in New York. And so Doom is kind of there. I mean, he's slightly at the edges of it. And he talks about the fact that, like, sometimes he could get the, the radio station from downtown New York, you know, from, from like, inner city New York and yeah, actually yeah. listen to hip-hop. Sometimes he couldn't. Um, so he's sort of right, literally right at the edge of this burgeoning subculture at which he's going to be a formative member of eventually. Um, uh, he was 
Doom also was like, I don't know, Kevin, if you're familiar with this idea that that hip hop culture isn't just rap music. There's break dancing and there's graffiti, graffiti, right? Yeah. Doom was into all of this. Like at at a certain point, he did all this thing. His original graffiti name was just art. A-R-T. But, <laughs> but right. it sounds like, you know, like short for Arthur too, right? So, so we've even got like wordplay kind of in that a little bit, right? Um, um, Long Beach, listening to Long Beach, uh, hearing about Long Beach in this time, it sounds like a really cool place, actually. Like, it's pretty wide open. It's not, a, it wasn't a rich area at the time, but it was doing, most of the people were doing okay. Um there was like a pro- there there was a public beach that people went to all the time and like unlike in other some other areas of new york there's no real private beach so people are just out and about hanging out um there's a there's like arcades and bowling alleys along the boardwalk and this kind of thing so doom talks about it not just doom but other people talk about it as being a pretty cool place to hang out. You can imagine it's almost like a summer vacation spot, except you live there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. down by Rockaway Beach yep. down there where the warriors try to get yes. to when they try to get home. Yeah. yeah, very, very good. Yeah, yeah. And so actually, so unlike some previous episodes that we've done where we've got like a biography we can read or whatever, I'm piecing a lot of this together, some from interviews that he's done, and he did a fair share of them. Um, and then just recently, there's a great podcast that came out um, put together by a guy named Search, MC Search, who was um, in third base, if people remember that. Pop was the weasel because the weasel goes pop. Search and Doom were friends when they were like kids. Search was a little bit older than him, but they were like buddies when they were teenagers. Um, and search is a big deal. Old school hip hop heads are going to know exactly who search is. And, you know, he's still out there doing stuff, music somewhat, but, 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 but management and doing this podcast and other things. Um, so they kind of get together when, uh, doom is a teenager, him and his brother, um, uh, dingle um, and a handful of other people. And they're putting together, they put together like you know, they're all listening to hip hop music. So they've got a, they've got a quote unquote crew and they'd go do graffiti stuff and they ride BMX bikes and all of that. And they're called the get yours posse. Right? <laughs> and they're kids, they're kids. This is yeah, like, yeah, it's, sure. it's not like a crime gang where they're like, there's not really any, any hints of their, them doing the typical, you know, they're not selling drugs or anything like that. They just hang out and they like the same stuff. So they're a crew, you know? Um, and to get yours posse is all about like, I'm going to get mine and then I'm going to get, I'm going to help you get yours, you know? So hopefully one of these guys pops off doing something and then we're all going to help each other out. That was sort of the spirit of, of the get yours posse. Um, so uh, now my 1988, that's so Doom is 17 years old. Um, his younger brother, um, who I'm now going to refer to, uh, Dingalizui, who I'm now going to refer to as Subrock because that was his that was his sort of stage name and artist name. Subrock starts cutting people's hair, right? This is a, this, he likes doing it. He's giving people fades. He's giving people all the sort of stylish haircuts at the time. Subrock is a very cool name. It's really cool, right? <laughs> yeah, that's another thing about MF Doom is that yeah, it's a cool just, name. It's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> the it's whole just thing is cool, slick yeah. and yeah. cool. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So. So Subrock is um, starting to cut people's hair, and then what they, what he and he and Doom, who 
you know, they're brothers, obviously, and Doom's older, but, you know, they're friends and they're in the same thing and they're kind of becoming obsessed with hip hop music, listening on the radio and all of that. So they start, um, Subrock starts cutting hair in exchange for records. So friends that they know will come by, they'll bring like, you know, a handful of their parents' records and they'll give them to Subrock and Subrock will cut their hair. And so this becomes like a scene at, at, at the Dumoulin household and the mom's kind of okay with it. She's, she's sort of strict and religious, but she's also sort of like, well, maybe if you hang out here instead of roaming around in the streets, at least you'll stay out of trouble to some extent, right? So the Dumoulin household by 1988, 1989 is becoming a place where a lot of the neighborhood kids hang out. And, you know, you're going to come, you're going to get a haircut, you're going to give some of your parents records that your parents aren't interested in, you're not interested in. And then after a while, it becomes not only am I going to give you the record, but let's see what Doom and Subrock do with the record. I'll get my haircut and then I'll listen to you cut up my parents record and like sample it and t- try to turn it into a beat or something, right? Like it sort of morphs into this like, bird almost like a it's not even like a music studio because they're not even really recording they're just messing around right but they're figuring out how this whole hip-hop thing works because yeah yeah you know not that long before 10 years before um dj cool herc and a couple other people elsewhere in new york scratched a record for the first time and were like uh-oh we've got a whole new american music genre right yeah. that's yeah 30 years from now everybody in the world is going to listen to a little bit you know it's like nice. Yeah. It's, it's still in its infancy in this stage. So, um, and the records we're talking about are like disco records, R&B records, you know, uh, funk records, that sort of thing. And they're starting to figure out how to, you know, how to chop the break beat out of it, how to, how to mix two records together. They're running it to, it, eventually they're running it to like cassette, recorded on cassette and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's, it's I love this stuff. All this zone. DIY, we're mm-hmm. figuring this out. Yeah. yeah so punk. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, it, it is. And it's, it's, it's sort of punk and it's sort of folk in the same way because it's like yeah. nobody's really telling them how to do this. It's just sort of like, well, you know we can piece this together and you know a sampler shows up at some time some point and you stay up all night figuring out how to use it and that sort of thing yeah um and then uh this is where so you combine this whole record thing with um there was a there was a late night show on the radio um i think it was called zulu nation and it was an audio collage show and so it would be break beats, but it would also be like samples from movies, and Monty Python samples, and you know what? It was just a mix of things. It, to call it music is both overstating and understating it in this weird way. It was it was it was doing something slightly different, though it had musical qualities. So between pulling in these records from his brother given haircuts and listening to Zulu Zulu Nation, Doom is starting to like become this like sound archaeologist in a way okay. right he's like all right he's, he's digging in at, into the recorded audio of sort of the previous generation and he's starting to pull pieces of it you know so it might be an isaac hayes tr- baseline but it also might be like a, a cartoon sample and it might be a it might be a something that was on a tv commercial and he's starting to like feel the way that all these things can kind of fit together you know this who this period. reminds me of is Tarantino. The way mm-hmm. that Tarantino went out of his way to yep. see the most obscure cinema, the most international yep. cinema, yep. and then would 
piece everything together into his uh, films. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and, and right, and, and so Dune gets to be quite good at this. I'm sorry, I'm seeing my notes now. It wasn't called Zulu Nation. It was called Zulu Beats, just for clarification here. So, um, <clears throat> so there's another thing. So this is the one element. I want to try to kind of set these elements up. So one element is Doom is, is in this sort of music sound archaeology laboratory. The other element is he knows this guy, MC Search. And MC Search is, he's in third base. And so while they're buddies as teenagers, or MC Search is a couple years older, MC Search has like a gold record and is part of third base, but he's hanging out with them in this house, you know? So it's, so he's kind of seeing where the world could let him, could, could let him get to if he, if he works on this. The other thing, Doom is a, kind of a mystical dude, right? His, his, um, his parents were um, Muslims, um, and they were like, he, they described it in his podcast as like they were the only Muslims in Long Beach, right? So it's not like that's the neighborhood they were in. They were, they were it. Um, Doom and Subrock get really interested and involved in um, the teachings of this guy, Malaki York. Does that name ring a bell to you at all, Kevin? Malaki York? York. No, it does no. not. Does this have something to do with the Hoteps? Uh, the Hoteps, the Hoteps know about him. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's Hotep adjacent. Yeah, I wouldn't. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know enough about the Hoteps. To, I don't want to. I don't want to put them together but the hotel yeah that, that's a community we don't i don't yeah yeah i don't i i respect but i don't haven't dug deep enough on sure. them to know what their deal sure. is um okay so malaki york is a so there's the nation of islam which malcolm x was involved in and i'm sure you know about that which is you know a sort of an americanized um um black liberation offshoot of Islam proper. And then there's offshoots of nation of Islam. There's the 5% nation, which I don't, Kevin, have you heard that term before the 5% sure, nation? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a big thing in nineties hip hop. Like a lot of the nineties rappers were five percenters. Um, and 5% refers to the fact that I think it's a, uh, what is it? 85% of people are meant to be ruled. 10% of people are smart enough to manipulate those 85% and 5% of people are actually free. And your goal is to be one of these 5% of people, right? I like this stuff because it feels like Alex Jones. <laughs> there's, it is. There's, yeah. some, there's some similarities yep. there in yep. terms of the way you're looking at the world. There's the sheeple and the normie, right. and then there are the bad guys, and then there's yeah. the awakened. And, yeah, yeah and of course, it's, it's, it's a, it's a yeah. bit of a comic book, but yeah. It, it is, but if you think about I mean, if you think like, if the goal is like, I don't want to be taken advantage of and I want to be a free person. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, right? Yeah. It's, well, it's, I, it, yeah, we should all aspire to that. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So another kind of offshoot related to the five percenters was this Malachi, uh, Malachi York or Malachi York. It's probably how you pronounce it. So let's just do a quick diversion because so Doom was, I don't know that Doom ever met Malachi York, but he, he was studying in this school of thought to give you an image of Malachi York and how weird this gets. Okay. Malachi York is born, uh, born Dwight York uh, in 1935. Um, he's also known as, uh, as I said, Malachi York, also known as Issa El Haidi El Mahdi. Um, 
In his Wikipedia entry, this is what they describe him as. He's an American criminal, musician, and writer, best known as the founding leader of several black Muslim groups in New York, most notably the Nuwabian Nation, a new religious movement that has existed in some form since the 1960s. Um, so he starts this thing and it gets weirder and weirder as time goes on, right? So it, it starts a sort of black liberation kind of thing, quasi-Nation nation of Islam kind of group. But as time goes on and Dwight York, Dwight, uh, Malachi York, I keep, I keep saying it wrong. Mal, I think it's Malachi, right? Uh, Malachi, Maliki, yeah. Malachi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Malachi York, he gets, he gets progressively crazier, in my opinion. Um, the, group <laughs> starts to, the group starts to adopt a lot of ancient Egypt themes. No big deal. Uh, cryptozoology starts to come into it. Um, there's elements of Christianity. Um, UFO stuff starts to come into it. Cool. In the early 1990s, so maybe a little later than Doom's flirtations with the group, um, they moved to rural Georgia and build a large complex called Tamaray, which is an Egyptian themed city. You can still find pictures of this thing. It's got like, it's got like pyramids and complexes and all kinds of craziness. Now, this is curious because I don't know how involved Doom was, but Doom does move to Georgia later on. And so I don't know if there's some connection there or not. I couldn't find anything about why he moved to Atlanta, but he does, or the Atlanta area, but he does. Um, now, the belief system keeps evolving in the Nuwabian nation. This is what, remember when Wesley Snipes went to prison for tax evasion? Uh, yes, that? I do. Mm-hmm. Wesley yes, Snipes do. was in the Nuwabian nation, and, ah. and, and, and this, he was kind of caught up in a lot of this. Ooh, okay. Here's where it gets weird, because I kind of, people can believe whatever you want to believe. In, I mean, that's America, right? Freedom of religion. You're into some wacky ideas? That's cool. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, Malachi York ends up getting busted uh, in 2002 with the largest child molestation case in United States history, both in terms of incidents and victims. He's in prison now and will be in prison for the rest. He got a 135-year sentence. He'll be in prison until, you know, any day now he's probably going to pass on right i don't like that no no and that no exactly and and i don't want to i'm not trying to indict doom in any of this either right because i don't actually know the extent of his involvement with this group um and there's no there's no speculation or nobody's ever said a single word about doom doing anything like this so i don't it's just kind of there and i know when doom was a teenager he was somewhat involved in this and you know if you want to go back to my teenage years, everything I was doing and thinking. <laughs> yeah, and you were like, also you know, right? uh, raised in the Catholic Church. So the yeah. Catholic Church is uh, adjacent to a lot of problems too. Right, so, right, right. Even so, though it is the one true faith. Right. And it, it right. has been brought to my attention that people think that I'm mocking the Catholic Church when I say that. I had my son baptized recently in, oh, yeah. uh, into the Catholic faith. And mm-hmm. when I say it is the one true faith, I am saying it with a slight wink. Uh, But I am not mocking uh, the Catholic Mm. Church. The Catholic Mm. Church does not need me to mock it uh, here in the United States. No, 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 no. It's a little bit of an asterisk there. No, I appreciate that. If you're you're an American Catholic without a little bit of sense of humor about the Catholic Church, (laughs) not going to make it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Um, 
So I want to I want to touch on one thing. I could have just spent a whole episode. I, and thank you for clarifying that, Kevin, because I think that's I think that's important. We we're, we don't want to try to ostracize them. So I want to touch on one thing about Malachi York before we move on, because I could have done a whole episode on this whole thing. It's fascinating. Um, in uh, what year was it? In some point in the '90s, he started to claim Malachi York started to claim that he had extra terrestrial origins that he was a master teacher from the planet r-i-z-q who, who knows how to pronounce that um and he wrote this we have been coming to this planet before it had your life form on it my incarnation as isla Mutaj- mutajazid or avatara was originally in the year 1945 in order to get here i traveled by one of the smaller passenger crafts called sham out of a mother plane called merkaba or nibiru um so apparently this version of Malachi York came to earth in 1970, right? That's, so this it's really funny that he called his ship sham, which right. is about <laughs> right. He's telling you what's going on. Yeah, but I came whole... on the USS Flim Flam. <laughs> <laughs> my, my ancestors arrived on the USS Flim Flam, man. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, the, uh, the uh, HMS Huckster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's so interesting. The the Merkaba stuff is very interesting and very real. Yeah, that's Kab- uh, Kabbalistic. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's well, Nibiru is the ten mm-hmm. the Planet X kind of thing too. So Nibiru yeah. is in the um, what is that guy? Um, Chariots of the Gods or whatever. Yeah, that's about what the, I mean. All this yeah. again, this Alex Jones adjacent stuff. Mm-hmm. Where if you wanna, mm-hmm. if you see, there are certain people you when you look at their bookshelf. Mm-hmm. you can very quickly see ah this one led to this one and right, right now we're right. into some very obscure small press stuff and this looks right. like it was self-published right and, right right, <laughs> right, what's right. Going on here right yeah. hmm. and so my whole point with this is doom was not far from this stuff okay doom was studying this stuff yeah he talks about you know friends of his at that time talk about the fact that he was always off in a room reading someplace or going to some study group when they were teenagers he he was he was trying to figure things out and this malachi york stuff so ufos and nation of islam this was all swirling around behind in in doom's head right and we don't know because very little of this comes through the music so we don't really know by the end and i'm going to give you some hints but from the outside you don't really know by the end what of what is where does he stand in terms of his belief system and his cosmology it's not 100 percent clear but we're going to have some hints of it may i say though it's clear yeah. that he imbibed the reading and yeah. probably discovered a little bit about how you cre- can create an identity mm-hmm. and yeah yeah, use well mystery to your advantage. Yeah, very well put. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. I think he I think he learned. He yeah, if he didn't learn any cosmological stuff from Malachi York, he definitely learned some uh, some stagecraft, <laughs> or yeah. you know, or yeah. theater or dramaturgy or whatever we want to call it. Sure, 100%. yeah, yeah. So okay, so um, he and so at some point, um, late very late eighties, Doom. And his brother Subrock form a group called KMD with another guy who went by the name Onyx the Birth the Birthstone Kid, right? Um, <laughs> Onyx the Birthstone Kid. Yeah, that's that like an, it's like an acting warm up. Yeah, Onyx yeah, yeah, the Birthstone is. Kid. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was his name. Um, they um, they started a group called KMD. 
um, which was originally the, the name of their graffiti crew. It stood for causing much damage. Um, as they started to get like a little more quote unquote enlightened, they decided that causing much damage, that's not the message they wanted to portray. So they kept the acronym of KMD, but it now became called, became short for, and this barely works. It became short for a positive cause with a K in a much damaged society. Right. So, oh, they're going through a phase. They were going through, they're 18, they're 18, 19 years old, you know? Um, okay. So, so, um, they they start this group called KMD and MC Search puts them on right away. MC Search, as I said, part of third base. Uh, pop goes the weasel, goes the weasel, goes pop. They throw um, Doom on a track called and Subrock on a track called Gas Face, um, and it becomes a hit. Gas Face is uh, they used to they used to roll to a mall in Manhattan, like a rich neighborhood mall and try to hit on girls and all the girls would like turn their noses up at them. And they'd oh, be yeah. like, Oh man, you got the gas face. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> so they turned it into a track and then it became like actually like somewhat used slang in the hip hop subculture of, of getting the gas face. But so doom gets on that and, and is very impressive. He's not wearing the mask. He's going by the name Zev love X as part of KMD Zevla X is backwards. It means X evolves and the X is for Malcolm X. So the idea is that doom is trying to take the Malcolm X idea to the next level is sort right. of what he's implying in his very name. Okay. So um, they get a record deal with Electra. Hip hop's like kind of a big deal, and everybody's looking around for like what's the next big thing. They get, you know, they're they're kids. They get a deal with Electra. They put out an album called Mr. Hood, which is pretty good. Um, it's very much an early '90s hip hop album, so you know it's sort of bridging the gap between real old school and golden era in terms of sound. But Doom is doing already is doing these interesting things. Doom and Subrock, because they were producing together at the time. He's already doing these very interesting sampling things. So Mr. Hood is this character who's like a very proper person from the suburbs, kind of, who comes into their crew in the album and they like ghettofy him, right? They get him like drinking 40s and smoking weed and hitting on girl, girls and this kind of thing. And Doom got the voice. He stole it from a Spanish, uh, sorry, a Spanish language teaching set, right? So he would just like pull these like individual sentences out and turn that into a character that would play out throughout the album. Um, anyway, the, 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 um, the Mr. Hood album was is sort of a was like an underground hit, right? It did fairly well. It got a lot of attention. It got critical attention, um, and it sort of was progressing them into their to the next phase of their career. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a lyric from uh, what is one of the more well known tracks from from Mr. Hood. It's called Peach Fuzz. And you got to think these are, they're teenagers, right? So Peach Fuzz is like this. We're starting to be able to grow facial hair, kind of thing, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so this is a doom. This is a Zevlov X when he was going by Zevlov X. This is a Zevlov X lyric. By the hairs of my chinny chin chin, got many plus plenty string by string. I think I counts like twenty. 
If you loan me your ear, I'll return it with interest. If not, I'll simply twist your wrist. So listen up closely with thoughts to recoup me because I hope to gross like 10, 10 cent per groupie. Now, only if I had two G's per strand, ask my anchor banker, he understands. I used to wrap my hand around a cold gold can. So it's, it's not quite to the level of the first verse I, re- I read. Yeah, that's opinion, already pretty it's, clever. It's this pretty is clever, clever word right? play. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they released Mr. Hood um, and they've had this, 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 uh, the gas face um, has gotten some attention on them from, from MC search and in, in the and uh, third base. And they go on tour with another group called Brand Nubian, who's a little bit older. There's a couple of Brand Nubian guys, like, kind of still around. They were making music, a guy named Sadat X. They're sort of a, a underground hip-hop royalty. Um, they go on tour with these guys. Doom is, like, 20, 21 years old. Um, no college, of course, none of that. I'm not even sure if he graduated high school, but, you know, this is their college, is going on tour with Brand Newbie, yeah, basically, yeah. All right? right. All right. You're, 20, you're 20 years old, and you're going to go on a national tour. It's a pretty big deal. Um, now, what's funny is when they started the tour, both Subrock and Doom, they're wearing the white robes and the koofies. Like, okay. They're, they're going hard. On yeah, this, they're into like, it. Nation okay. of Islam, kind of, they're going hard on it. And um, in their first video, in fact, in Peach Fuzz, there's a, it starts with them like in those outfits selling like incense and, and, and essential oils and that kind of thing on the side of the street. They're sort of doing this. They're, they're like Nation of Islam slash hippies slash there was a sort of a thing in the 90s in New York like this. Right. And they were they were doing it. Um, the problem is dressing like that, according to the, some of the guys from Brand Nubian, totally alienated their audience. Like people would show up and be like, who who are these guys? Like we're here to like drink a beer or two and like nod our head. And these guys are up here in like white robes. It's very, it's very like, it was very weird and alienating. What is Um, this? Yeah. What are these kids doing? Yeah. Who are you? Like what is going on here? So, um, eventually through this first tour, which I I find this to be a very interesting period because they're literally kids. They're 20 years old and Subrock's younger. Um, so they go through this period and by the end of it, they're wearing their normal street clothes. They've kind of tempered it all a little bit. They understand that they got to engage the audience. They don't have to sort of have this kind of sanctimonious sort of attitude towards them. Sadat X though tells this hilarious story. This is from the, um, did I tell you the one about podcast with MC search? He tells this hilarious story about like the brand Nubian guys were all smoking weed and drinking. They're, you know, three, four, five years older. They're on a tour. They're partying. The um, KMD boys aren't really into the partying thing yet. Um, but they decided that in order to like get biblically inebriated, that they were going to drink wine. So, so Subrock and, and Doom <laughs> oh, are like, they are LARPing so hard. Exactly. They're in their, you know, what, you know what phase this is? They are in their hot topic phase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So they would have a show and then they would, you know, pour each other some red wine and they probably didn't even like the taste of it. You know, it was probably That's hilarious. Like, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's what a respectable, um, Sada next call said they, it was hilarious because they were getting quote biblically effed up, which I think is hilarious. So, um, but you know the tour goes the tour goes pretty well and 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 they're learning a lot they're learning how to do a show you know they're learning how to engage an audience and all that kind of thing. They come back and they've been working on an album um, which would be their second album um, 
uh, and it's going to be called, and, and they mature, right? So they start out and it's kind of fun. It's funny. And the second album is darker. Um, it's called, this is, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to swear, unfortunately. Sorry, radio. It's called Black Bastards is the name of this second album. <laughs> okay. okay. So they go a little darker. They want the cover to have a Sambo character being hung on the front, right? And the whole, this was their whole thing. They were like the, Sam, the Sambo character. They had this, this Sambo character that was like sort of their mascot. And, and some people took it as being like racist against African-American people, which is kind of bizarre. But like their whole thing was like trying to kill the Sambo, like trying to kill uh-huh. this false representation, uh-huh. right? All right. Okay. So, so put that a pin in that for a second. They come back from this tour with Brand Nubian, and they did pretty well, and they got a career now, right? And they got a deal from Electra, which is a fairly major album, to put out another album. And they're, and they're you know, uh, Sub Rock is an 18 or 19, Doom's 21. Yeah. And then one night, Sub Rock gets hit by a car on the Long Island Expressway and dies. Oh, no. Yeah. And nobody really had a good story for what happened. Somebody said that he was playing some kind of like Frogger game in real life. Somebody said that he might have been a Delta Funky Homo Sapien of Deltron 3030. He said he, that he'd heard that he might be on at he might have been on acid or something. Mm. Nobody's really clear on what happened. Somebody knows, obviously, but the, officially there's no clear story. But the point is, he tried to cross the Long Island Expressway as a pedestrian, got hit, and died. Damn. Okay, so Doom struggles with this, right? Yeah. Obviously. It's his younger brother. He's supposed to be taking care of him. They got a career that's doing pretty well, all things considered, right? Like, it's, there's this, like, we're really going to do this. We're going to become. We're gonna be gonna we're gonna be career rappers like this. This is amazing, right? Yeah. Um, you were on tour with heroes of ours. Like this is amazing. And then your brother gets hit, and it's over. <sighs> so now Doom tries to finish the album up. He spends the next couple months trying to finish the album up. Submits it to submits it to Elektra. Elektra doesn't want to put it out because of the cover, because of the name. Doom refuses to change it. They basically give doom 20 grand and say here's 20 grand to end the contract we're done so he's lost his contract and he's lost his brother that album won't come out until i think 2002 it was bootlegged for a long time and then finally they got he was able to get it out on some other label and suddenly he's got literally nothing you know He's 21 or 22 years old. We're talking um, 1993. Um, and this is when, now at, up to this point, he hasn't been Doom. I, I, gotta, I can't stress this enough. He's been Zev Love X up until now. His brother dies. He loses his record deal. They put a little bit of money in his pocket and said, see you later. Um, and here's where the big myth about Doom's life sort of emerges. Um, people say that he was homeless. Um, they slept on park benches. Um, you know, there's some suspicion that he disappeared to another country for a while. I don't think any of that is actually true. Um, and then there's also this idea that he disappeared for a long time and then he suddenly reemerged as MF Doom. That's not quite true 
either. It's not that long of a period before MF Doom actually emerges. It's it's five or six years, but he definitely had to like go and process all of this grief and pain. And the in later interviews, he he he's a very there's this great interview, um, Red Bull Academy, in I think 2011. There's this great interview, and he's very candid about everything. He's a chill guy, like. He's positive about things, but when it comes to this Electra record deal, he's like, you can sense the bitterness in his voice. And he's like, you know, they didn't like our, they didn't like our album cover, but they had rock bands that had, you know, bleeding crosses on the front. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like there were metal albums on there that were repulsive. So it wasn't about that really, you know? And he said, there was Mm. all, there's all kinds of political things in the background. I don't want to talk about it, but like, he felt like he got railroaded and he did in my opinion. Mm. You know? mm. Yeah. And so that happened and his brother died and the dream died. Right. And so it's like, what do you do? That's a, that's a lifetime of tragedy in the span of a couple of years at the age of 21, 22 years old. Um, so doom sort of, he doesn't really become homeless he might have had a child in this period. It's really not clear. I had a hard time nailing down exactly how many kids he had and when, but he had, he had somewhere between three and five kids. And I think he had one kid in the mid nineties that he was. That's how you know, a life is a little obscure when you're like, yeah. ah, we can't really track right. the kid. <laughs> right. And not in the, the wacky Gurdjieff way. No, where, no. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. It's like private, private yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, one thing says three, he says five. It's kind of weird. So, but I think what was going on in this mid '90s period was that he was living with. Um, it might have been the woman that he was with to, to, until the end, or it might have been a different woman, and she was sort of supporting him until he kind of figured things out. He had a little bit of money left over from the Electra deal, and he was creating doom. Right. He was becoming, he was transforming from Zevlov X, this sort of fun, fun, but like politically conscious, intense kid into the supervillain who was a character that was in some ways him, in some ways not him. Right. But it was also a depressive phase. So, you know, we get reports from friends of his at the time that were like, they were concerned a little bit about his drinking. They were concerned a little bit about his, his sort of disposition. They describe him as being, as being depressed. Um, uh, he, he goes to, um, he goes, I think it's 1995 or 1996. He goes down to um, Howard University. He doesn't attend Howard University, but he gets an invitation from this guy who goes by either Ben Grimm, uh, as in Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four is the, the name of the thing, if anybody remembers this, right? All right. Okay. So he goes to this guy who goes by Ben Grimm, and remember, we're talking about Doom, Dr. Doom, um, or later would become known, this guy, Ben Grimm guy would later become known as Ben Klingon and would be Doom's manager. So Ben Grimm goes down to Howard University, famous black university in Washington, D.C., right? Yeah, 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 we yeah. stayed there when we were down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, near there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so Ben Grimm's going to attend, and he just says to to Doom is like, why don't you just come down, get yourself out of New York City, and just come kind of hang out with me for a while? Right? He's trying to take care of his friend, basically. And so Doom says, all right, all right, you know, New York City is is kind of rough on him. He's got friends there, but he's, you know, it's maybe it's time to just get someplace else and kind of help help him figure things out. 
Now, here's an issue. <laughs> he literally gets on a Greyhound bus. Doom gets on a Greyhound bus to go to Howard University. He's going to go down and stay there for an indefinite period of time with his friend Ben Okay. That Greyhound, uh, I assume, from Port Authority all the way down to yeah. D.C. is yeah. it's pretty real down there. Right. Yeah. So yeah. now they pull the bus over. Bus gets pulled over. The cops find a kilo of crack cocaine. They come on the bus, and Doom is a scruffy, kind of overweight black dude. And they end up arresting him. Now, there's oh. no evidence that any of it was his. Everybody, all of his friends are like, he was never even into it. Like, he never was in, that was never his thing. He never did it. He never sold it. It's not his, it's not his jam, right? He just got profiled. It's, that's what it seemed like. Um, and he does get out of it. Like, he doesn't end up really serving any time. Um, he's, he's a, he was a drink beer, smoke weed, eat shrooms kind of guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He yeah. wasn't a, I'm going to sell a bunch of crack cocaine kind of guy. But he does have a lyric on his first solo album that relates to this. And it's one of the few times he ever gets personal. So now I'm going to read you another lyric. This is from a song called, uh, this is from the Operation Doomsday album. All right. <clears throat> Again, I'm going to read it in my, uh, my white, white dude voice. <laughs> <laughs> Doom, get the cash. Right. <laughs> the mad villain be spitting right. enough bars to... <laughs> yeah, that's what well, I'm doing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's uh, MF Doom at the bowling alley. <laughs> so this is from the song Doomsday. On Doomsday, ever since the womb, till I'm back where my brother went, that's what my tomb will say. Right above my government, Dumalay. Either unmarked or engraved, hey, who's to say? I wrote this one in BCDC O section. If you don't believe me, go get bagged and check then. Cell number 17 up under the top bunk. I say this not to be mean. Wish bad luck or pop junk. So that's talking about his brother, you know, back until I'm back where my brother went. Um, and then the BCDC is um, Baltimore County Department of Corrections. So this is yeah. where he, he had to spend a, a short period of time while he was getting this, this Ooh, cocaine possession distribution. Yeah, I'm out. guessing that uh, jail in Baltimore is probably not the best not place the in the best world. the best place to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. rough. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, he goes out. He does end up going to Howard anyway. It's, this is like a brief interruption to him going to Howard and hanging out. Again, not attending, just hanging out down there. And apparently, like, this was a bit of, in the mid-90s, this was a bit of a hip-hop scene down here at Howard University, which makes sense, you know. It's, it's, it's a famously black university. This is an exciting time in, in, in hip-hop music. It's the golden era. So you're going to have all these young, smart, talented, driven kids who, you know, some of them, some of them are musically talented. There's going to be a lot going on. And Doom was sort of right, ended up being right at the center of that. But he's also developing this Doom character. He's developing this idea because here's the thing. A lot of rappers, um, and not all of them, but a lot of rappers either just are who they are in their in their sort of persona or they're pretend they're kind of they're pretending to be somebody but they don't you know you hear a lot about like fake you know fake that rapper's fake kind of thing right they're, they're sort of pretending to be this guy yeah doom was like i am making a character who is not me it was like intentional bowie. right doing a bowie thing yeah going yeah. full bowie with it right yep. Right, right. Yep. This guy, and there may be some relation between me and this character, but I'm not trying to convince you that I'm this guy that's talking. That's not the point of all of this, right? So he's, he's sort of developing this character the way that an actor would develop a role or the way that a novelist would develop 
you know, the characters in their book kind of take, it takes some time. You got to figure out the squiggles and the zigs and the zags of it and exactly what are the boundaries of this thing. Um, so it takes them, it takes them some time. Now, um, in, uh, so, okay, so he does this and he's starting to get some notoriety in Howard University and sort of demo tape kind of things are getting out there. Um, he ends up going back up to New York in New York City in like 1997 or so, and he gets involved. Um, excuse me, he. I'm skipping over a lot because he had relationships with a lot of the, the the sort of underground hip hop folks back then. But one person who he was good friends with was this guy named Bobito Garcia. Bobito Garcia was one half of Stretch and Bobito. In the 90s and even into the 2000s. Stretch and Bobito had the number one hip hop, the number one, number, I'll back up, number one underground hip hop uh, show on the radio, um, WKCR. And it was not like midnight, but like most people that, most rappers that anybody knows from this time period were on that show at some point, right? It was a, yeah. big, it was a big deal. Okay. Um, and he was friends with Bobito. Bobito loved him. Babito started up this record label that was doing all vinyl. All they did was vinyl, right? No CDs and they weren't streaming at this point. And he got Doom to hop on to make a couple um, seven inches sort of vinyl singles. Um, one, I think the first one was called Dead Bent and the second one was called Vomit Spit. And at the same time, Doom is showing up at this place called the New Yorkian. Uh, Poets Cafe. It's like New Yorkian. New yeah, York I know about Puerto the Rican. yeah, 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 yeah. New Yorkians. That's a whole. Yeah, thing. yeah. It was a yeah. big, it was a big hip hop spot in the in the sort of mid to late '90s. And Doom was showing up there with a pantyhose on his head. Nobody knew he was the kid from KMD, or very few people knew he was the kid from KMD. He looked different. He was built different. He was, you know, he didn't. Nobody knew it was him. Basically, he's he'd been on MTV and all of these things already, you know. And then he shows up at this kind of small venue, and everybody's like, "Who is this Doom guy?" <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. That's the move. Yeah, it he's gets very talking. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does get people talking. He's very purposely concealing his identity, and some people knew because he wasn't. He wasn't as much of a recluse as the sort of the legend tells you, but but he was he was trying to 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 put a layer between himself and his audience, um, which I think is I think it's really interesting. So this is a good time to talk about the mask because it starts to come up in this this late '90s period. Um, so he's developing this character Doom, right, and and and. He's got to kind of, and partially he's taking that from his name, just Doomalay. People called him Doom already. Um, but then part of it is he's fascinated with comic books, old school cartoons, and that sort of thing. So, so doc, the Dr. Doom thing is right there already. Doom, Dr. Doom. And, 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 the, and the Doom character, MF Doom, is, is a, like a hip hopified version of Dr. Doom. I think is that's probably the easiest way to yeah. think about it. Yeah, he's sure. a super villain. The super he's a mad scientist a mad genius with a metal yeah. mask and like yeah, yeah. and all of these cooking things, up right? beats in the lab. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, he described <laughs> my, one of my favorite my favorite lines from him is um, you know one who is skilled in destruction as well as building. 
right? It's just like, mm. you don't really know, you know, and he, he'll describe himself as doom is for the children. He describes himself as this misunderstood villain character, right? But maybe he's actually fighting for the good kind of thing, but you don't really know, right? Um, now, when you get into what his descriptions of the artistic reasons for wearing the mask, um, one is that he wants to embody this supervillain character, which I think is true. Um, then, but he also talks about the fact that he was, he was sort of sick of the genre's increasing reliance on the flashy image. I mean, this is mid to late 90s. You're talking about the shiny suit era with Puff Daddy in, a, in a, like, a, like a red LeMay dinner jacket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and, and no disrespect to that stuff, but this is not what Doom was about, right? The first thing I said about him, he's the best, best MC with no chain you ever heard. He wasn't interested in any of that stuff any of them sort of materialists he, he when he talks about like women it's mostly as like kind of a joke sort of um uh when he talks about money there's always a wink there he doesn't really talk about sort of drug dealing the violence is always cartoonish it, it's a refract it's like a refraction of all those things that were being talked about in in 90s sort of mainstream hip-hop now so he talks about it in terms of of, of doing the villain thing. That's part of the reason of the mask. He talks about it because it's, he's, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to um, be about the image, which I think is kind of, a, isn't quite true because what's more iconic than the MF doom mask, but you're also not about image. It doesn't really quite jive, right? Like um, not to say that he was, he was, he was materialistic and all about the image, but you kind of can't say like, I don't think it's about the visual. And then like your f- biggest thing is this iconic image. It's kind of, yeah. it kind of yeah. falls flat a little bit. Well, but um, I mean, I wonder, you know, how much at his shows, it's not like he did some like fancy light show or no, he didn't. It was yeah. very raw, very mm-hmm. old school. Yeah. It's oh, just I'm him wearing the mask rap and it's the words. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so there's some truth to it for sure. Um, I think one thing is he, I think, um, he, he, I think he was legitimate that he wanted to not, I think he wanted to not be famous in the way that he wanted to be able to go wherever he wanted to go. He didn't want to be recognized. And there's stories about him, you know, especially early on when he's playing smaller shows where he's at the bar with no mask on, talking to people, having a beer, and then looks at his watch and then goes backstage, puts the mask on and comes out. And nobody knew it was MF Doom. He was just some dude at the bar which I think is pretty cool, right? <laughs> Everybody's there to see you. Nobody knows it's you. It's very, very, very cool, very super villainy. But now I think there's also a thing about this whole mask thing. I think there's some pain from the KMD days, from Subrock dying, and I think he's trying to put a layer between the audience and him. So he doesn't actually have to look him in the eye kind of thing. I think he's trying to hide I think he's trying to hide behind it to a certain extent. Um, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, and then also it's like, there's probably a thing like, I don't want anybody to ever say, Hey, it's the dude from KMB. Like there's just too much pain there. Yeah. Pain. And then also Mm -hmm. wanting to move on, wanting to move into something else. And then also masks, of course, have this great ancient tradition in the theater and in Mm -hmm. 
uh, drama and dramaturgy. You can become someone else. It, oh, he yeah. may have even felt like it helped him on stage. Oh, I'm sure it did. Habit sure of character. Did. Now the mask is on. Right. And there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So do you know, do you know, so he had a couple iterations of the mask first, but do you know where the, do you know where the doom mask comes from? I do not. It's literally the gladiator mask from the movie gladiator. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly the yeah, same. I if thought it was up, familiar. Yeah. 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 And they, it, okay. the, in the gladiator, it has like a whole helmet piece, but they, 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 they detached it from that. Okay. Um, and so the guy, there's a guy named Keo who is a graffiti artist and artist of, of who worked on a lot of sort of multidisciplinary kind of guy who became friends with Doom when he was having this resurgence. And uh, they originally had some other kind of mask that they had spray painted chrome. You can see it in the Dead Bent video. But then Keo finds this mask and it's it's a it's a metal it's a metal mask it's heavy right and they cut off a lot of the stuff and they put a they put a um a hard hat harness in it the hard hat's got this strap with the with the thing in the back you can turn to tighten it so they kind of attached it to that and and that's what doom started to wear i always assumed that he just had a bunch of these masks apparently he did not there was one mask that evolved over time so it Based on a photo of him, you can almost tell what year it is based on what the mask looks like. Um, if there are no, if there are exposed screws on the side, this is 2000 to 2003, 2004. Um, if there's rust in the, the prong, there's some prong, like almost like walrus tusks. If there's rust going on there, it's pre-2006 or 2007 where he, he would go and get it chromed. If... Um, eventually he gets the screws covered up with these little sort of pointy peg things. Um, and then at one point he puts, eventually he puts a ruby in the third eye spot in the mask. And so this is like post, this is like 2008 or after, if you see a photo with the ruby um, that, that, you know, it's kind of in that era. There was a brief period where it was gold, but then apparently it went back to Chrome. Um, so it's interesting. I, I had always thought that this was just some cheap, like plastic mask he threw on that he had you know 50 of them he just grabbed one you know but apparently it was the same one all the time now oh yeah it's like willie nelson's guitar right 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 now here's the other thing that people don't know most people don't know and i got this story from again um did i tell you the one about podcast um with mc search this guy tom brown who was the head of a record label doom would work for later He says that inside the mask, Doom had eventually, over the years, he had added a variety of crystals and metals and things that he felt would keep him on the proper vibrational pattern with the universe. Oh, I love that. I love stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So on the front, it's this like weird warrior thing, you know, but inside there's, there's magic. There's magic going on, right? It's very cool. Um, okay, so Operation Doom. So anyway, that's that's kind of in the future. But I wanted to talk about this mask thing because I think it's actually this brilliant move. To be honest, it, it's icon- It's so iconic. Like you can tell, you can tell it's the Doom mask in a very cartoonish version of it. That like, oh, that's the Doom mask. There's a great concert video of the Demon Days mm. album. I think they did the concert in Manchester. Okay. And- most of the people performed live yeah. from the album. 
Yeah. Doom pre-recorded a video. Oh, sure. And yeah. they played him, but he the video drops down and it's him in the mask. And you're just like, yeah. this is uh, wild. <laughs> wild. It's so it's so cool. And then he gets to embody this character, and the character is the mask, and 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 you know, vice versa. Um so anyway, he's kind of going back a little bit. October 1999, his album Operation Doomsday comes out. Um, it's been six years since Sub Rock died, right? This album comes out. Um, it's pretty good. I like it. A lot of the hip hop critics liked it. Um, and it. Let me let me give you a little. Let me give you another rhyme from it. I gave you that Doomsday one about about going back to where his brother went and all of that. Um, but let me give you another another rhyme from this. This is from a track that's just called Question Mark. By candlelight, my hand will write these rhymes till I'm burnt out, mostly from experience-ish that I learned about, topics and views generally concerned about, with different ways to come up and earn clout. I take a look at my life and pace the trails from to bleak and savage females with fake nails to face veils. You out your frame, but still bagging them too. You know, I know these hoes be asking me if I'm you. Like my twin brother, we did everything together from hundred wreck of cats to lots to cop and butter leathers. Remember when you went out and got the dark blue ballies? I had all three different color gazelles and gazellies. A sub rock three finger ring with a ruby in the O. Ah, truly the illest dynamic duo on the whole block. I keep a flick of you with a machete sword in your hand. Everything is going according to plan, man. Mm. So six or seven years have passed by, and his last track on this first album, which was a big kind of underground hit, is him telling his brother, I think this like hurts my heart. <laughs> but also, he says, at the end, he's talking to his brother, and he says, everything is going according to plan, man. Because he and Subrock were like, we're going to do this, Right. You know, imagine you and your you and your brother coming from yeah, you know pretty yeah. modest beginnings. Sure, you're like we're gonna get this and record got, deal with Electra, right? National Go on national tour. tour, right? Yeah, and then you come home, one of you gets hit by a car, and then you get mm-hmm. kicked off your label, and you're just trying to piece everything back together, right? So yeah, so it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, dude. it's brutal. Man. Yeah, brutal. yeah. Um, okay, so, um. Now, after Doomsday, we hit what may be the most generative and productive period of any hip-hop artist ever. (laughs) Maybe that will ever be or ever has been. Um, Okay, so after Doomsday, big hit on the indie circuit. What's his next move? He changes his name and releases an album under the name King Ghidra. King Ghidra, for people who don't know, is a Godzilla character. It's a 300-foot-tall dragon that Godzilla fights, right? Yeah, so Doom, fun. Really, Doom releases an album under King Ghidra. The album's called Take Me to Your Leader. Um, he describes King Ghidra as a 300-foot interdimensional dragon um, inspired by the Toho Godzilla films. He says he's not from Earth. He says King Ghidra is the one who tra- who channels information to MF Doom. So MF Doom is a separate character, right? Um, describes you know King Ghidra as reptilian, without without human compassion. All these things releases one album as this character, and it's a pretty good album. Take Me to Your Leader is, is pretty good. It's it's got a lot of sort of posse cuts on it with a lot of other people. They make another album later called uh, Monster Island Czars, where a bunch of his 
his buddies, they all sort of take on the persona of a Godzilla monster. And it's a sort of a posse <laughs> album. It's this got, stuff is so nerdy. It's so, it's so nerdy. Isn't that one of the names that he called himself? Something nerd? Yeah, the clever nerd. Yeah. The clever yeah. nerd. Yeah, he is the clever nerd. <laughs> I mean, it's so nerdy. Yeah, it's super nerdy. He loves, he loves this stuff. And again, this is the thing where I'm talking about him being this archaeologist. It's, it's, you take it, you don't quite take it wholesale, but you kind of refract it through your own thing. So, so King Ghidra, when you talk about him being King Ghidra, to, at a casual first listen, cursory listen, it doesn't sound like he's doing anything all that different from the MF Doom character in, in reality. As you get sort of deeper, you realize that each, each character he inhabits, they're building a slightly different world and the boundaries with that, between that character and the other one are pretty blurry. But they are, there are some distinctions. Again, reminiscent of Bowie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then we have a show title, I think. It's MF Doom Sound Archaeologist. It's pretty okay. good. I like that. I think that's yeah, good. Yeah. And um, do you think, and, and I don't want to knock you off your, the rails no, okay. here because you're doing a fabulous job. Thank you. Artofdarkpod.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod if you like what you're hearing uh, because we're going to do 20 or 30 minutes extra at the end where oh, yeah. Brad is going to rap. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to demand it. Um, Okay. Okay. But uh, do you think, does this transformation happen? Does he become as great as he would become as he has become here in your story? He's, he's arriving. Mm -hmm. Does this happen if his brother doesn't get hit by that car? See, I, it's hard to say, but I think, I don't think he did. I don't think he does. I think that pain, you don't see him ever come back from that pain. I think that allowed him to get as dark as he did on Mad Villain. I think it, you know how you talk about, um, and I'm not saying he had multiple personalities at all. He didn't. He was Daniel Dumoulet, and he was, he was a dynamic, brilliant artist. But you know how they say with multiple personalities, um, what it comes from is trauma right? You have a traumatic experience and then you sort of separate yourselves into these different personalities that can deal with that trauma in a different way, escape it or confront it or whatever. I think part of the, the split into multiple personalities artistically is accomplishing the same thing it does in these purported cases of psychological multiple personalities. It's, it's this it's enough weight that you can't quite deal with it um, and so you end up kind of, you end up sort of scattering yourself a little bit. So I think that, I think that happened. And then I think that period, I think that period between when Subrock died and when he came back, I think of that was a gestation per- period. I think there was a lot of, maybe he wasn't homeless, but I think there was a lot of sitting on the couch, drinking beer and thinking thinking okay how am i going to do this different you know and maybe maybe there was a period where he gave up on it entirely i I don't know it's not really clear but i think there was a lot of contemplating and planning and probably the whole villain thing came back from that like this is going to be my revenge on electra and fate and everything right Mm -hmm. i'm going to come back this fully formed super villain who's going to take over the industry sort of thing so so yeah it's a good question and i think he wouldn't it wouldn't have looked the same he wouldn't have wore the mask um i think the character wouldn't have been as fully defined and and sort of separate from him 
Um, so yeah, I, I think it, I think it had a huge impact. Um, um, so the King Ghidra album comes out, uh, 2003, also in 2003, comes out with another album under another name. This name is Victor Vaughn. Now for Fantastic Four fans, you'll know that Dr. Doom's real name is Victor Vaughn Doom. So the Victor Vaughn character is a slight alteration of the Doom character, um, Dumoulet describes it as a younger version of Doom who kind of looks up to Doom but doesn't agree with him on everything. He's, he's a more of an upstart. He's a little rougher around the edges. He's a little more smash and grab kind of attitude, a little, little less, maybe a little less strategic and complex. The Vaudeville Villain album, under the name Victor Vaughn, that comes out in 2003, is in my Good opinion, it's great. In my opinion, it is the second best MF Doom album. Um, just after, just after Mad Villainy. And if Mad Villainy had never come out, it would still be, I think, a classic in my opinion. Um, um, interestingly though, so Operation Doomsday had been produced, um, almost entirely by Doom. King Ghidra, Take Me to Your Leader, produced almost entirely by Doom. The Vaudeville Villain is produced by like a ragtag team of label mates from this sound ink album who uh, these guys did an amazing job but i can't really find anything about anything that they did since it's very strange they're super talented like the production on the vaudeville villain album is incredible um so i don't know what happened there it's very it's, it's another mystery maybe it was doom doing all of it and he just took on another six names i don't, I don't really know i don't think so but um um the vaudeville villain album kind of scientific very very sci- sorry not scientific very science fictional um really well worth a listen um it's the storytelling's a little more lucid than in some of the other doom albums and then there's just this consistent vibe throughout that's really incredible dark blade runnery in a certain way but 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 not but not not vaporwave exactly but but it's it's really <laughs> its own thing um uh yeah Okay, so that comes out 2003. 2004, Mad Villainy is released, right? The great, you know, top 10 hip-hop album of all time is released. Um, but they also released, and we're going to talk more about Mad Villainy, but I want to just give you a sense of this run in a four, like three or four years. Also in 2004, he releases the follow-up to Vaudeville Villain, which is called Venomous Villain. Not quite as good as Vaudeville Villain, but pretty darn good. And he releases the great M Food album. And he releases a nine volume set of beat loops called Special Herbs Volume Zero Through Nine. Um, uh, so, in this period, he's got like a half a dozen albums, right? Just shoots out of the, you know, disappears for five years, releases Operation Doomsday, something clicks into place, and he's just, <laughs> he's off to the races, right? Um, but we got to talk about, we got to talk about, uh, mad villain a little bit. Oh, and I hate to do this. I think I got to take a bathroom break, man. Yeah, it's all good, man. Let's yeah, do that. that's Let's fine. Stay, Let's, you know, Art of it. Darkness, artofdarkpod.com. Brad's going to, uh, you know, take a quick five. We're going to come man. back with the, the clever nerd, the mad villain, MF Doom. All right. We're back, and Brad's going to rock shock the boogie down the Brighton. I then. <laughs> I then. That makes yeah, sense because Brighton, uh, Brighton Beach, right? Is that 
I think that's a stop down. I don't know. It's probably probably near there. My New York geography is uh, not totally. Yeah, that's a part of uh, of New York York that I don't know that well. Yeah, Brighton Beach. It's in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, so he had spent um, kind of a part that I skipped over is he had spent during his sort of middle period between KMD and, and, and the Doom resurgence, he hung out with a lot of dudes who old hip hop heads would know, like J- Curious George, um, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, and a handful of other people in um, Harlem, actually. Um, and that was sort of his spot. There was this apartment building that's sort of famous in in hip hop in '90s era hip hop that he kind of hung out in. And he was a dude who was always kind of around, you know. And this is the image you need. I, this is the image I think. Okay, there's the there's the doom with the with the mask and wearing, you know, a Cosby sweater or wearing, you know, like a <laughs> he always he always paired the mask with for people who don't know, you look up pictures of him. So he's got this mask, it's very iconic and it's this sort of supervillain comic book character. But oftentimes what he was wearing as clothes was he'd be wearing just like a basketball jersey or he'd be wearing a, like I said a Cosby sweater, you know, those crazy sweaters from the mid 90s. There was a while where he would wear like um like borderline like ghillie suit shirts like a hunter thing with with like physical leaves on them he was it was always a weird pairing um but so that's like the stage image of him but what i think you need to imagine is a dude by himself with a tv watching old 70s stuff cold cartoons 60s cartoons he basically throughout his albums he would basically sample almost the entirety of the the late 60s fantastic four cartoon in bits and pieces here and there also one thing i didn't mention the kmd thing you know you know wu-tang became famous for the kung fu movie samples right yeah yeah doom did that before them on a kmd album on the first KMD album, right? So this sure. is this is his milieu. So you gotta imagine Doom in a you know in a dark room, smoking a blunt, drinking a beer, pouring over the dusty record collection with a sampler, you know, a sampler in his own thoughts, just sort of digging through this stuff and trying to again refract it into into something that is meaning meaningful to him. Isaac Hayes albums and a lot sorry atlantic star albums and and um old tv shows all of these things lo-fi kind of stuff uh, as well so that's the image that you kind of i feel like you need to have have of this guy um and did he drink too much eh, maybe did he smoke too much weed yeah i mean who's to say right <laughs> He definitely seemed to acquire a gut of some variety. He did. He, he did. He, he did heavy. get large. Yeah. He yeah, did get yeah. kind of big. But that was also kind of part of the image, right? He's a sort of pot-bellied dude with this mask. <laughs> he's kind of guy later on. You know, he's rhyming and he's kind of resting his hand on his gut, kind of thing. You know, yeah, he had that yeah, kind of vibe yeah. going. Fun. Um, but he owned it. You know. So anyway, we're picking back up with the Mad Villainy album. Um, so there's an important part he didn't make this album on his own it was him the reason it's called mad villain is because he made it with this guy named mad lib kevin what do you know what do you know about mad lib not a thing that he made this album that's okay okay so mad lib is a genius 
not just because of this album, but this album is sort of exhibit A. Um, he's still around. He's still putting stuff out all the time. He did a, um, if people are interested in, he's, he's got a, his, his libraries, his oeuvre is amazing. He did a great um, deep dive into the Blue Note record archives, the, the great jazz um, label and did a um, sort of a Mad Lib does Blue Note where he just was able to sample whatever he wanted from their, from their archive. He's a, he's a loop digger, right? He's, he's, he's not a guy who's necessarily writing his own composition on a piano, though I believe he could do that, no problem, and I know that he has. Um, but he's, again, this kind of sound archaeologist guy. He had a series of albums called the Beat Conductor series where he would just basically pick a region of the world and go as deep into their native, not native so much, but contemporary-ish, 20th century-ish music, dig into their vinyl and re recreate an album from the sounds of that place. The Brazil one in particular cool. is amazing, right? So this is his vibe. And he's similar to Doom in that he's a recluse. He didn't care. To, he didn't really even do interviews until like 2010. He's, he's, he's off on his own thing, off in a studio someplace. You know, he's the kind of guy who, who wakes up at two o'clock in the afternoon and works through the night. And is, you know, he's, he's awake when everybody else is asleep. He's one of those kinds of guys. So he was perfect to work with Doom. It was, it was you know, not necessarily done on purpose at first, but it was a perfect match. Um, also, Mad Lib had already done his own character album he has this character called quasimodo and quasimodo is like a yellow cartoon warthog who's like really scurrilous i guess he's like you know smokes weed and drinks and sleeps around and you know steals stuff and all that and mad lib does this character he will he will rap slow and then he speeds it up in 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 mixing so that he's got a really high-pitched voice quasimodo the unseen is a great album but it's all literally this like pink <laughs> yellow warthog character right so, okay. so they both all had right. this character thing that they did too um so it worked out perfect the way this album came together is mad lib had heard operation doomsday and maybe some of the other stuff and he was on a label called stone's throw and stone's throw partially because of the mad villain album is sort of a legendary um, independent hip-hop label so they get a hold of doom and they bring him out to la and the idea is that he and doom are going to do just like a couple tracks together they end up doing this whole album and if you hear him talk about how they did it it's fascinating so stone's throw had this mansion in la they called it the bomb shelter the reason they called it the bomb shelter is the actual studio that where you recorded was down in the basement where there was an actual bomb bomb shelter, which is, you know, I'm sure is good for acoustics and all of that, but kind of the whole house was really the studio. So Doom and Mad Lib and a bunch of other Stones Throw guys are kind of just, you know, hanging out, but these two are working together, are putting this album together. And the way they did it is Mad Lib would be in the basement making beats all day or all night. Doom would be up on the balcony smoking weed and looking out at the view and writing lyrics and every day mad lib would give him a cd and there would be up to a hundred fresh beats that doom had never heard on this cd almost every day 
So Doom is kind of picking through these, picking the ones that he wants, and then he's writing to them. And then he gives, you know, and then he kind of gives him a CD back. And both Mad Lib and Doom say they barely talked to each other while they were making this album. You get a beat, he'd send back lyrics. You know, he'd send back the audio of him rapping on it. And they kind of communicated this way via telepathy almost. It's just, we're going to, you make an you make beats, I'll make rhymes. And then we're going to, we're going to sort of alchemically bring this whole thing together. And it works out great. I mean, yeah, the Mad Villainy album is, if you haven't heard it before, just press pause on this, go listen to that and then come back. Um, <laughs> well, you don't have to press pause. Never tell press people pause. to press pause in the podcast, Brad. <laughs> Listen to the very end. Subscribe okay. to Patreon. Yeah. Then yeah. between this and the Patreon episode, okay. put on Mad Villainy because okay. that is a vibe. It is a vibe. It totally mm. is a vibe. Yeah. So it comes out. It's a big hit. It becomes an underground standard. Um, real quick, I just had this here, and I might as well tell you what is going on in the samples in the in the Mad Villainy album. So. There are samples from Mothers of Invention, that Frank Zappa project, um, Atlantic Star, which is a sort of a R&B group, I guess, Fever Tree, which is old psychedelic rock album, James Brown, um, Dalsam from Street Fighter 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yoga, Yoga Flame. Flame. <laughs> Yoga Flame. <laughs> Vincent Price reading from The Raven. Uh, Sunrise uh, voiceover from Sunrise Space is the place. Um, there's a great track on there that doesn't even have Doom's voice on it. It's so strange. It's called Shadows of Tomorrow. Don't skip that one. It's worth it. Um, <laughs> you might want to have a little have a little puff puff before you listen to this, this album. Isn't, this is if, if <laughs> Put some headphones thing, on. Yeah, if you're we, into we don't little, recommend drugs on right. Art of Darkness, but we don't. Yeah, not, not recommend yeah. drugs on. Yeah, on this Art is of a Darkness. great. This is a great puff, and it has one of the great pot smoker anthems called America's mm-hmm. Most Blunted yep. on it. Great. A hilarious, smart, head nodding kind of track. Um, other samples, they've got Justice League cartoon samples, Tex Avery cartoons, Quincy Jones. It, it just like goes on and on and on, these variety of things you sample. Again, we're thinking of this sort of sound archaeology thing, right? You're, you're digging in for bits and pieces and reassembling them into something else. Um, I'm going to read uh, I'm always embarrassed to do this, Kevin. I gotta be. I gotta be straight with you. I'm kind you of gotta be ready to, to rap. You've gotta be ready to okay. rap on right. the <laughs> After Dark episode. It okay. is happening. Okay, I'm gonna read some lyrics for the for the people who aren't so familiar from uh, the first full track off Mad Villainy, which is called Accordion. <clears throat> Living off borrowed time, the talk, the clock ticks faster. That'd be the hour they knock the slick blaster. Dick Dastardly and Muttley with sick laughter. A gunfight and they come to cut the mix master. I-C-E cold, nice to be old. Y-2-G-S-D twice to threefold. He sold scrolls, lo and behold. Know who's the illest ever like the greatest story told. Keep your glory, gold and glitter. For half, half of his ingas will take him out the pitcher. The other half is rich and it don't mean... Ishta, villain, a mixture between both with a twist of liquor, chase it with more beer, taste it like truth or dare. When you have the mic, it's like the place get like, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It's like they know what's about to happen and keep your eye out like I, I, Captain. Is he still a fly guy clapping if ain't no, if nobody ain't hear it? And can they testify from the spirit? Nah, and nah. 
in living the true gods, giving you all nothing but the lick like two broads, got more <laughs> lyrics than the church got. Ooh, lords. Ooh, lords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and it it's just, just great. It just goes on like that and on like yeah, that. And again, rolling and rolling. Yeah. It's, it's not that. How does he one, remember all the lyrics and how do the lines and the. I don't know. And, it, it, yeah. it's, and it's not that any one sentence is some profound insight into anything necessarily, but but it's the way that it all sort of moves and rolls into the next and it's all in conversation with the other sentences like i don't know i was a big hip-hop and i still am i can't keep i'm getting too old to keep up with the new stuff i'm one of those like this sounds like noise to me and then you know i'm a huge mad villain fan so whatever but like i actually learned a lot about writing from these super talented rappers like mf doom and like some of these other guys just the 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 keying in on the individual syllable right and how that can can contribute or interrupt right the, how to construct a line so it's mellifluous you know so it so it all kind of goes together now if, if you want to make it mean something that's a whole different thing but just the just the art of making a sentence sound yeah. a certain way yeah, right? well what did eddie of what does anything mean Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, when he, <laughs> yeah. when yeah. he, that rap, I would love to have seen this guy live circa 2008, oh, yeah. Yeah. 2007, 2008. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. doesn't get yeah. any better. No, he was yeah. the man. <laughs> okay. So we'll talk after Mad Villain now a little bit. Um, Mad Villain comes out, Mad Villainy comes out March, 2004. November 2004, the album mm, Food comes out, which is an anagram of MF Doom. Um, I have found that largely MF Doom fans are split into two camps, broadly speaking. One camp thinks that Mad Villainy is his best album, and the other camp thinks that mm, Food is his best album. And I don't think the two understand each other all that well. <laughs> I fall into the mad villainy camp personally. Um, I respect some of the stuff on M M food for sure. It's cool. It's got a lot of funny, funny, interesting, smart stuff. Um, it's the whole aesthetic experience is totally different. It's much more reliant on cartoons. It's much more reliant on the, the sort of lo-fi kind of production that you saw in operation doomsday. This is partially because uh, Doom produced mm, food almost entirely by himself. Um, and this isn't to say that Mad Lib is necessarily better. It's just, I think Mad Lib appeals to me more personally. Uh, and, and other people agree, I, I think, with that. But it's a cool album nonetheless. Um, and it's, you know, people say it's his best. And so it's got, it's got, definitely got its virtues. Um, every track is food themed, but it's always a double entendre. And it does have, I will say, it has some of his funniest verses on it, okay? He talks a lot of smack about other rappers, which is a great, hilarious to me rap convention is talking smack about other rappers. I'm going to give you a, a verse from it that is, is pretty funny. And you have to think, again, this is, okay, so this is 2004. It's a little bit after the shiny suit era in rap music. It's a little bit after the Puff Daddy stuff and all of that, but it's still in that milieu to a certain extent. So he's talking smack about those kinds of rappers. Uh, it's just funny. So this is from a song called Beef Rap. <laughs> and it, okay, I'm just going to do it. What up? 
To all rappers, shut up with your shutting up and keep your shirt on at least a button up. Yuck, as they rhymers are stripping males, out of work jerks since they shut down Chippendales. They chipping nails, doom chipping, doom tipping scales, let alone the pre-orders that's counted off of shipping sales. This one's going all out to all my people skipping bail, dipping jail, whipping tail, and sipping ale. I just think that's so funny. Out of work jerks since he's talking about other rappers. These guys are out of work jerks since they shut down Chippendales. Yeah, brutal. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, just a little quick thing from Rap Snitch Kit, Rap Snitch Knishes off that album. Rap snitches, telling all their business, sitting in the court and be their own star witness. Do you see the perpetrator? Yeah, I'm right here. (laughs) (laughs) This is the whole thing where, you know, you're a rapper in 2005 and you're just talking about all the crimes that you do. And it's like, man, if you were really a a criminal, you wouldn't talk (laughs) about it like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So also in 2005, this is another big thing. Doom releases an album with Danger Mouse. And for people who don't know the Danger Mouse name, Danger Mouse, Danger Mouse was one half of Gnarls Barkley, who had, you know, that great sort of pop, almost genreless hit in like 2006 or whatever. Um, Danger Mouse also has one of the greatest, if not the greatest mashup album of all time when he took the vocals from Jay-Z's The Black Album and the Beatles, um, the music from the Beatles' White Album and made The Gray Album, which is a classic if you haven't heard that. It's incredible. Um, he, after that, from The Gray Album, he got pulled in with to uh, Damon Albarn's world and started working on Gorillaz. Uh, he also produced for Broken Bells, Black Keys, and all kinds of other people. But in the 2005 era... He created with MF Doom, they formed a duo called Danger Doom, much like Mad Villain was half Mad Lib and half MF Doom. Danger Doom is half Danger Mouse and half MF Doom. Um, it was pretty interesting. So, the, the, so this, was the, this was the Adult Swim album, Danger Doom was. Um, and people who don't remember Danger, or sorry, um, Adult Swim was the... the uh, independently produced cartoon network late night stuff right so how this comes to be is this guy jason demarco who co-created toonami which was a which was a part of the cartoon network that brought a lot of anime to to american airwaves and kind of created their own pseudo uh pseudo anime as well um brought back thundercats and voltron and johnny quest and all that stuff so right up right up doom's alley because he loved all this cartoon stuff so this guy, Jason DeMarco, um, he's in talks with the executives of Cartoon Network. And it's not clear who gets this idea, but somebody gets the idea to get Doom involved in making a cross-promotional album. It's like he'll help promote um, Adult Swim, Cartoon Network, and they'll kind of help him, right? It's, it's mutually beneficial for sure. Um, and there's kind of a funny story that comes out of this. So Doom is living at this time for reasons unbeknownst to me or anybody else, apparently. Um, he's living in the Atlanta area. Um, and uh, Cartoon Network, I think, is a, like a, is it like a Ted Turner thing, ultimately. And so it's also in the Atlanta area. So Jason DeMarco goes out to meet Doom, 9 o'clock in the morning. He's told by Doom's handlers to bring a six-pack of Heineken and to just wait until Doom comes to the door. 
<laughs> don't knock you know? just show up and wait yeah, yeah yeah right so jason demarco tells this story about just like sitting around and waiting with the six pack of harnik and it's nine o'clock in the morning doom finally doom finally does come out and immediately cracks open a heineken and offers one up jason demarco's like hey man i'm on the roller coaster yeah let's do it they'll drink a heineken we'll hang out they just hang out they bond over cartoons um you know, all they're all in, they're all into the same kind of cartoons and all of this, um, and they eventually, you know, they get together and they do this album. They get Danger Mouse involved in it, and they end up putting out this thing. Um, and, and Doom loves Adult Swim before any of this happens. He knows all the characters. He knows all the voice actors. He knows all the directors. He knows all the writers. Like he's in. He's already. They weren't aware of how much he really understood the Adult Swim world. So it ends up being this cool thing because they start getting the voice actors. It's not just sampling the show. It, they get Meatball from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. They get the voice actor to do a new oh, bit man. for the show. I was show just thinking about album, Meatball. Right? I got yeah. to go back and watch Aqua Teen. Yeah. There oh, was funny. a period of time where Adult Swim was the best thing on television. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Two thousand, The, the mid-2000s. It was so weird. It was so and, weird and, and legitimately funny. Funny and yeah. strange. Yeah. Yeah, psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, funky. Doom, yeah, Doom Doom hit Doom slid right into that spot. So they make <laughs> this album and who knows what's gonna happen, right? Um it's pretty good. I would put it in the top five Doom albums personally. Um and it sells three hundred and fifty thousand copies. Like because you could still sort of sell physical copies then, right? You could still sell a CD. Three hundred and fifty thousand is indie gold, you know, it's it's not too shabby. Mm. Um um now it was such a it was such a hit that they started getting doom involved in tv promos and they bring him in for a christmas marathon you can watch you can watch this where it's like um they had a marathon of uh, adult swim shows around christmas and doom is like the mc in between them so he's wearing like an ugly christmas sweater and he's sitting in like a suburban you know like a a rockefeller living room but he's got the mask on and a santa hat and you know he's just saying wild off the wall stuff um you know i will be ho ho hoing and things of that nature you know (laughs) it's like it's just really funny you can find a lot of these on youtube they're really funny this is the thing we can't I don't want to fail to get across this, how funny and how much of a goofball he was. So uh, I'll tell you a little story about this. So there's this guy who was involved in Stone's Throw. Stone's Throw was the, uh, the label that Mad Villainy came out on. This guy named Egon, who had his own production career for a little while, but then became like kind of a creative director or something at Stone's Throw. And uh, he asked Doom to officiate his wedding. Egon asked Doom to officiate his wedding and Doom agrees to do it comes out to California for it and he spends a couple days well here's the the thing Doom never said he would do it he just showed up which can you imagine that in the wedding planning like (laughs) you're trying to like well we'll have him officiate and then he just shows up but you never knew if he was going (laughs) to did he wear the mask yeah he shows up wearing the mask like the day before it's like oh my god anyway so he follows egon and his what and his uh his fiance around for a couple days and all day he's asking these very thoughtful questions and he's he's writing notes in his notebook and all this and then doom apparently gives a does a, a a splendid job officiating the wedding everybody's very happy with it it's very touching and it's very funny but he accidentally leaves this notebook that he's been jotting notes in for the all weekend for for egon's trying to think of what he's going to say for his friend egon's wedding egon finds it when they're cleaning up 
And Doom has just been doodling in there. There isn't a single note about what anything means to Egon or his fiance or anybody else. Doom has just been walking around doodling little cartoon drawings of nonsense this whole time. <laughs> and that's like, that's, I, this is, he's just such a, he's such a oddball dude, right? You can't ever pin him down. You don't know when he's going to be where you don't know what he's actually thinking about. There's all kinds of anecdotes about like most of the time, nobody knew where he lived. Like you wouldn't really know how to get a hold of Doom, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. He, he's sort of like a guy's like maybe you call a guy you know who knows him. That's how you would get a hold of him, and maybe yeah, they're yeah. together, kind of thing. Right. Um, he actually, and this is skipping ahead a little bit, but he found this amethyst Doom did in Mexico, this big, big, big amethyst, and he broke it into pieces. And later on, if you were working with an on an album with Doom, and often you would work on an album with him via correspondence, right? You'd send him a beat and he'd send you whatever. You weren't in the same room with him usually. He would give everybody involved in the album a shard from this amethyst and he would say, this is how we're going to stay in touch with each other. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Wow. Like, like on the astral plane. Like if yeah, you have yeah. a shard of this crystal and I do, they'll be vibrating the same at the same time. He's, he's not wrong. There is something to all he this. He isn't wrong. Yeah, but, yeah. It's like, but it's like, how am I going to, how do I get a hold of you? How do I email you? It's like, dude, just, you got the crystal, just, man. Yeah, like, yeah. Vibe <laughs> with the crystal, man. You'll find me. I, I feel that, man. I do. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I'm I, beginning to get a sense of doom, too, coming out of a, a time. What year was he born again? He was born in 1971. So he, he is painfully Gen X. Oh, yeah. He's a Gen this X. This guy is just pure sure. Gen X. He's yeah. like just Gen X id. Yeah. As, yep. Yeah. 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 Um, so one other big thing comes out of this, this Danger Doom era, and, and I, I do suggest people listen to the Danger Doom album if, if, if you're at all interested in, in, in Doom. Um, and if you're not, you, sh- you know, you should be by now, darn it. Yeah, you got to <laughs> at least listen to, uh, listen to Mad, Mad Villainy, Villainy yeah. if nothing yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then see, see how much it draws you into other things. Um, so the, Mad, the Danger Doom album comes out 2005 or so. Yeah, 2005. 2006, 2007, they bring Doom in to do, um, for um, Adult Swim to do, or Cartoon Network, I'm sorry, to do what's called Upfronts. Kevin, I don't know if you know uh, this part of the TV world. Apparently, at least they used to do this, TV stations, channels, whatever. Whatever year they would do Upfronts, where it was like a party for young advertisers where they kind of present to advertisers like, here's yeah. what we're planning on doing. I've heard, heard about this. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. so they, so they had this party and this is where the first time this was, uh, I think 2007, this was the first time that doom introduced what was called would become to be called the doom bot. Do you know about the doom bots? No, I heard of this. this. No. Okay. So doom told Jason DeMarco and these other people, he's like, listen, I want to send somebody else out in the doom mask i'll be backstage rapping and they will just be out front pretending to rap <laughs> okay so at first they're like i don't know if we want to do this exactly like this seems kind of weird like aren't people gonna know and doom's like no, no 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 this is the whole point of the mask nobody knows who's behind the mask right could be anybody behind the mask it's like his whole he has this like artistic vision of what he wants to do 
So they do it and it goes reasonably well, but like people, a lot of people seem to know that it wasn't Doom. Um, You know, but he sent like a large black dude out in a mask. (laughs) So it's 100%. If you've never seen him live, you wouldn't, yeah, 100% sure, but it maybe seems like something's off. Um, But this would become the first iteration of the Doom bot. Doom would do this a bunch, actually, throughout um, the late, um, late, you know, 2007 and on, he would he would send out impersonators that he called Doombots. Um, part of it, and again, he had artistic reasons that also, just like the mask, he had artistic reasons that also seemed to be convenient at the same time. So he could send a guy out to do a show where there were maybe 200 people in the audience where his, um, his, if he were going, he would want a lot more money, but he can just send a guy to do it, right? This, this happened a number of times. And it, there's videos on YouTube of people catching the Doombot being like, that's not MF Doom. <laughs> and the audience kind of revolting. Um, I actually, I went to Rock the Bells, um, which is the big hip hop music festival. It must have been 2007 or 2008. I went in San Francisco and saw... I mean, it was a ridiculous day of music. I mean, I saw Rage Against the Machine, Wu-Tang Clan, uh, Eric P and uh, uh, EPMD, sorry, uh, Most Def, Talib Kweli, uh, The Mortal Technique. Uh, I, I saw like an unbelievable wow. list of hip-hop artists in the same day. Yeah, I, yeah. I missed MF Doom because I think how this worked, if I remember, my memory's a little, a little foggy. I miss. I can't and, imagine why. I, I don't know. I don't know. Why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Something in the water. <laughs> but I think I think I missed him. There were multiple stages. I think I missed him because the line to get in was really long. Like even though you had a ticket, you had to like because they had to pat everybody down or whatever. Anyway, point of story. I missed MF Doom, but it turns out that that was a Doombot performance. So I was very close to have having witnessed a Doombot performance. Um, this whole Doombot thing has become became very divisive among fans. I mean, most people who went to the shows were disappointed because it's not actually the guy you came to see. But then other people sort of said, well, like, what do you expect a supervillain to do? The guy's whole thing is that he's, he's a villain. He's a bad guy. What else is he going to do but rip you off, right? Like, what yeah, else yeah. would he do but, like, put somebody else out there and pretend that pretend that it's, it's kind of hilarious on paper? So he I wouldn't think. even show up to the show he would just send somebody else out. It would be pre-recorded and the other guy would ad lib it, Mm -hmm. it, like Mm -hmm. sync it. That's kind of genius. I mean, it's, it's genius. It's like these, these groups that like blue man group can be, it it can live forever. Who's the blue man group? It doesn't matter. They can live forever. Slipknot. The right. band Slipknot, as long as somebody can double pedal the drums. Right. Right. I mean, it's right. not that easy, right? No, I'm sure there's a easy. core group, not, but right. the group can be bigger than any one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he would, he would say things like, you know, like, I'm going to just keep making it weirder and weirder until eventually one day there's going to be like a 10-year-old Chinese girl up there behind the mask rapping MF Doom. <laughs> you know, like, he thought of it, he at least on the outside stated it as like this artistic sort of thing, right? So... You know, still, still fans. You know, I think a lot of people who went to see those shows were somewhat disappointed in that. Anyway, um, so his, uh, so now get moving. Fast forward to two thousand nine. This album, Born Like This, comes out. This is his last solo album. 
um, actually weirdly enough comes out under just the name Doom, not MF Doom. So there's like debate in the real hip hop head community is like, oh, should you refer to him as MF Doom or Doom? I don't really think it matters that much. But anyway, the official artist name for Born Like This album is just Doom, all caps, of course. Um, and it's got this great, um, did I not write the, oh yeah, let's, I'm going to give you this one of my favorite verses from MF Doom. This track is called Ball Skin. It's off of Born Like This. And just, again, we're just kind of getting the vibe of what these, flo- what, how he put words together, right? <clears throat> the flow is toe in, precision as an Afro trim. All big letters, but it isn't no acronym. Smack the thin grin off a chin for crack smoking. DDT, the first bar, leave this track back broken. Chrome grown men doing business with Anglo sax and them. Lack and swing, but the, that banjo's so relaxing. As the wax spin, hacking axes in the wind. Pretend it's just a pen, see if you can pencil them in. Tense, mention men of honor fenced in. Census is tens, the wheels fall off, then it's the end. Don't get keeled hauled in. Villain always been. Feel real, genuine ball skin. Not to call the whole crowd out, it's just a few chumps and you know who you are like a shout out. Place them in your loud mouth and taste them like a pastry, waste of space, face hastily, bow out gracefully, disappear, reappear, and disappear again. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, it's just, the, 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 it just keeps, it just roll, everything rolls That's his into thing, itself. is that it just would yeah. go and go yeah. and go and go. These, mm-hmm. these lines would just go on and on. Mm-hmm. That was his sort mm-hmm. of signature thing. It really is. It really is. Yeah. And we also had, and this is, I think, subtly his most revealing thing about his own view of things. There's a track on Born Like This released in 2009 again doom this is mostly a self-produced album a lot of this stuff though a lot of the beats for old doom heads a lot of these beats actually are you could have heard them 10 years before this or eight years before this on the special herbs um instrumental albums but on the track cells he introduces it with a long sample of charles bukowski reading his poem, Dinosauria We. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit of this because I think Doom picked this very, very purposely. Okay. Now you got to remember, Doom is a guy who's one of his first tracks is called One Beer. He's got a lot in common with Bukowski, in my opinion. The kind of outcast, somewhat reclusive, but yeah. also somewhat hedonistic kind Heavy of guy. Drinker, Heavy drinker. Heavy drinker. Grunt, yeah. Grungy. Not really concerned. Concerned with money in terms of like I need yeah. to eat, but not materialistic. Kind of hates his audience a little. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There's, there's, some comp- there's some similarities. So I think oh, he- man. Bukowski is going to be a banger when we finally get around to him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So let me, let me read this bit that, that Doom sampled from Bukowski. So this is Bukowski, but it's, it, the, this entire thing is in this MF Doom song. I don't know. He must have cleared the sample. He must have paid the Bukowski estate something, right? <clears throat> And this is where the, tr- the, uh, the album name comes from. Born like this, into this, as the chalk faces smile, as Mrs. Death laughs, as political landscapes dissolve, as the oily fish spit out their oily prey. We are born like this, into this, into hospitals which are, which are so expensive that it's cheaper to die, into lawyers who charge so much it's cheaper to plead guilty, into a country where the jails are full and the madhouse is closed, into a place where the masses elevate fools into rich heroes. 
born into this, walking and living through this, dying because of this, castrated, debauched, disinherited because of this. The fingers reach toward an unresponsive God. The fingers reach for the bottle, the, the pill, the powder. We are born into this sorrowful deadliness. There will be open and unpunished murder in the streets. It will be guns and roving mobs. Land will be useless. Food will become a diminishing return. Nuclear power will be taken over by the many. Explosions will continually shape the earth. Radiated men will eat the flesh of radiated men. The rotting bodies of men and animals stink in the dark wind, and there will be the most beautiful silence never heard. Born out of that, the sun hidden there, awaiting the next chapter. Right. So he puts that whole thing in. It's like two minutes. It's sort of unprecedented in a, in a, on a rap album, honestly, yeah, yeah. To, to just yeah, take yeah, a bit yeah. of legit you know, poetry from the poetry world that isn't that isn't you know Maya Angelou or something like that it's it's from completely sure. separate from the african-american community from the hip-hop yeah, culture yeah. all of that it's and, and bringing it in doing the whole thing um you know but it's but it's also got it's got that and then it's also got this track called batty boys that is basically making fun of batman and robin for being gay so <laughs> you know uh, yeah okay <laughs> this is a thing that i think uh, i don't you, think you would ever mistake this guy for being highbrow there's no, nothing no. highbrow about no. mf doom no yeah. no no i mean he's t- technically extremely gifted but but yeah it's not there's no pretension to it at any yeah. point yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think this is one thing, the Batty Boys track in particular and, and beef rap from earlier, I think you do have to contend with there is a certain strain of homophobia that's going on in MF Doom music um, that was always going on in hip hop generally. And I don't really even want to say that much about it, but just kind of put it there and acknowledge that, yeah, that's, that's a thing. It's, it exists in that. It's just there. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to say about it other than to just sort of nod at it and go, okay, yeah, that's a little bit there. There's a little bit of homophobia in rap music. I guess, you know, can't throw all of it out, right? Yeah, it's tricky. And it's, it is pretty crazy to think that, I mean, I can't recall precisely even when Obama came out as pro-gay marriage but it was a lot later than you would think yeah i mean and, it's probably mm-hmm. around the time this album came out 2009 yeah you know? and it's it, yeah so anyway yeah. yeah that's just there it's just there i'm just not pretending it's not there um now here's a big thing here's the ne- next big thing that happens in doom's life 2009 born like this comes out pretty well received critically i think it actually sounds better than i thought it did when it came out giving it a recent re-listen it's 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 spotty but gazillionaire and ballskin are as good as any of his other tracks in my opinion so they're legit um 2010 so now he he's um he's in with uh lex records which is an independent record label just coincidentally out of london danger mouse has kind of got him hooked up there everything he's released up to this point has just been scattershot on this label or that label he's never really had like any kind of like multi-album record deal he kind of gets involved with lex and, and sort of has that in 2010 he's overseas for tour in europe and he can't get back into the united states i heard about this i remember yeah. this yeah, yeah, there was some drama around visas or something, right? He's not an American citizen. He was oh. never naturalized. He was traveling on a UK passport. He goes out on tour and he never goes home. Ah. 
He just gets stuck in London. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. He tries, he tries, he he does try here and there, but then his family, his family is in the United States and his wife is an American and his children are all American. Um, So for like two or three years, he just like see, he just like talks to him on the phone and they come over for a couple visits. He literally can't go to the United States and he never, he never returns. Right. Which is sad and kind of heartbreaking because now it's one of these weird things. I knew, I knew, um, somebody here in the United States. I knew this woman who is Canadian and I don't remember exactly how the story worked. She was older. She was my parents' generation and she had brought her son over. Her son was a Canadian, was not a naturalized American citizen. At some point when he was like 17 or 18, they sent them back to Canada. He got in trouble for like a misdemeanor or something. They sent them hmm. back to Canada. He couldn't come back. Yeah. But yeah. The thing is when you get brought over as like a baby, getting sent back to your country. That's not like going home. No, you don't know. You don't know anybody. You don't know. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like it's not going home. You've gotten kicked out of the country. He's, yeah. That's so, it's so dark. It's so strange. Yeah. And you yeah, know, yeah. you could argue he should have taken care of it. I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. You know, right, he did right, have right, a little right. bit of legal trouble. He probably never had a proper job to be honest in terms of a, you know, a W. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure on paper the, they're like, what, who, who are right. you? Who are you? Like yeah. almost like seems like a quasi illegal right. alien. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the bureaucrats are not going to well, be that. Well, and then the other thing too is apparently when they did stop him this time, he had his mask and he had like tens of thousands of dollars in cash. Oh yeah, they're going to love that. And you don't have an yeah. American like what? Who? No, you can't come. Right. Here. And you were you were in jail in Baltimore for <laughs> right ten years ago or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. You know, I wonder because I know the UK has some pretty enlightened, uh, relatively enlightened. Uh, visa rules if you're an artist if you're a recognized artist but a lot of that stuff is like you have to have been nominated for a grammy or xyz there's this very there's a way that they they'll backdoor anybody in who they want in you know and i don't know if doom would have even fallen on that like you know what's he gonna say like i'm a really big deal in underground rap Right. Like, yeah, nobody like, cares. Yeah. Like what? Like, <laughs> go back to England. Get yeah. Out of here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, he goes to, he's banished to England, 2010, he never comes back. And then now the details, we talk about there not being that many deal, details about his life before they become fewer and further between at this point uh, from mm-hmm. 2010 on. Um, there is an interview with Tom Brown, who is the head of Lex Records. He's the guy who tells us about all the, the crystal, the amethysts and copper, this copper spiral that was on the inside of his mask, um, which is a really interesting story. Um, he's sort of living on this guy, Tom Brown's couch for a while. Um, <laughs> Tom Brown talks about um, Doom got obsessed with Aphex Twin. Um, okay, and I was, believe that was I can starting, see that. Yeah, I was starting to sample it, and he was trying to figure out how to like incorporate these sounds into into upcoming albums and things. Um, but Doom didn't really, he didn't. Well, that's not true. I was going to say he didn't do a lot of production, but he actually did. So, so there's a handful of projects um, from 2010 to to 2021, or the end of 2020, I should say, um, that he's involved in. He's he does a album. Um, as a duo called JJ Doom with this guy Gen- um, Janelle Gennaro, um, that's pretty good. Uh, it's got this great song called "Hey Governor, uh, Governor" on it. It's got an album called "Keys to the Cuffs." It's pretty good. He does um, 
he does an album later in the almost 2019, 2020 with um, the, uh, the West Side Gun, this guy from the Griselda, these guys from Buffalo, New York. It's kind of an exciting project. He works with uh, Czarface, at C-Z-A-R, which is an old uh, one of the guys from Wu-Tang Clan, Inspected Deck. Um, it's clearly inspired by Doom. Czarface is another supervillain character with a mask. <laughs> and so Doom okay. guy gets involved, but Czarface is not Doom. Czarface is Inspected Deck. It's very, but it's... It's it's almost weird that Doom's on it because it feels so clearly derivative. It's almost like he's derivative of himself in this weird way. It's a very strange kind of postmodern kind of project in, in a certain way. Um, but there are some other some so he, so he was being relatively productive. You can hear his voice over the 2010 towards the end. You can hear his voice getting gravelier and um, rougher. You can hear some of the rhymes not being as clever anymore. His verses seem like they're getting shorter. I don't know if that's true or that's just perception, but it seems to me like they're getting shorter. Um, uh, but there's other things going on too. So if we flash back to the period with Adult Swim and they made um, Danger Doom, they were going to make a follow-up album. Jason DeMarco from, from um, Adult Swim Cartoon Network gave Doom $40,000 as an advance, which I don't know if that's a lot of money or not. Seems reasonable for an act that just sold 350,000 350, copies. 40 grand seems like a reasonable advance. And then Doom just disappears. Jason DeMarco hands him this check and then doesn't talk to him for two years. And it turns out that Doom, Doom's oldest son had been having some health problems. And his oldest son... Again, the, child, the childhood thing is unclear. Wikipedia says that he had three kids. In an interview he says of himself, he says he had five kids. But the ages, when he says he has five kids and he gives their age range, they don't, it doesn't match up with anything. So it's very unclear exactly how many kids Doom had, though he had, let's say, three to five. Um, so back in, the, back in the Adult Swim era, his kid had had some serious health problems. And then in 2017, that son, at the age of 14, passed away. Mm. I don't know why he did. I couldn't find anything about, you know, it sounds like it was a medical condition. I couldn't find anything about what that medical condition was. Um, but in 2017, uh, King Malaki, again, that Malaki name from Malaki, you are King Malaki Dumoulay, passed away. Uh, and in some sense, it doesn't seem like Doom ever really recovered from that. You know, he's lost a younger brother now. He's lost a son. He's been kicked out of the country that he's, you know, he grew up in. is never allowed to come back. He had to fight to get his family to live with him. Um, yeah, it's tough, man. Brutal, man. 2017. And then there's, the a, there's a lot of pain that we're all going to experience mm -hmm. in this life. Mm -hmm. the, the pain of a parent losing a child. It's, I I'm a parent. Yeah. I, that is something I pray. I pray to God that yeah. I never, I never experience. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, and this isn't to demean it at all. This is to, to, to tell you how deep that pain runs. It's like at the genetic level, that pain, Yeah, you know, it goes all the way down to everything that you are if you're i think not that i have personal experience but i can only yeah imagine. yeah like, I can't even imagine. you're 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 like programmed to protect this thing 
to protect this person above yourself. You know, finally there's some, you know, you've never had anything that you cared about more than you and suddenly you do. And then that, oh, it's just gotta be. Oof. I'd never had anything that I cared more about except for my old mystery science theater, 3000 VHS tapes. <laughs> Everything okay, but that. Well, everybody's those, got those stay. <laughs> the tapes stay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to return some videotapes. Um, so kind of winding down here. Um, there is uh, one album that comes out that I, I, it's got mixed reviews. I've listened to it. Some of it's quite good. Other of it, it isn't for me. Uh, but it's this album called um, Neruvian Doom. And it's mostly Doom doing production for this young rapper named Bishop Nehru, um, which to me just seems like a cool thing for him to have done. Take this young guy, like young, I'm talking teenager, taking this sort of teenager on and like, I'm going to produce your album for you, kid. Like, it just seems like a sweet kind of handing down to the next generation kind of do we move. have any idea where in london did he land was he in brixton or i, d- I actually don't know i couldn't I wonder yeah I, I don't i don't know london. yeah i don't know yeah yeah there's the the details of this time period are so spotty um though there's this weird thing i remember this coming out there's this weird video so so other than uh, a couple guest appearances this neruvian doom album and some other things that came out after um uh, his son passed, you don't really get anything from him. And even the features, it's like, who knows when those were even recorded? You know, like these things are getting sort of emailed around. Like it could have been from 2012 for all we know. But he did release this video that is mostly him riding around in a sailboat in St. Lucia uh, <laughs> with like this really heavy bass beat behind it, sort of narrating what's going on. And there's no context to why he's releasing the video or anything. It's just like a three minute and he's wearing the mask the whole time. There's one point where he's swimming in this pool with the mask on. Like it's just a hilarious. He's like, <laughs> just got such an interesting sense of humor. It's and it's yeah. it is hilarious. But he's yeah. like he's where he's he's in a sailboat, but he's he's kind of leaned on the steering wheel like you might be in a hoopty. But he's in a <laughs> sailboat in the most beautiful, like, you know, beautiful yeah, yeah, background yeah. you've ever seen in your life. And He's never really, he's not even really saying anything. It's just all this kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm out here, beautiful people, beautiful weather, blah, 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 blah. And then that's it. That's like all you hear about him for a five year period, this guy, MF Doom. So it's kind of crazy. Then this goes to just how ambiguous this guy's life was, how secretive and private he was. But on, and he ends it, we're going to wrap it here because he ends it just as ambiguous as he lived it. New Year's Eve 2020, you know, passing, going into 2021, it came out across the internet that MF Doom had passed away. Um, I'm going to read you really quick what the message from, from his wife Jasmine was on Instagram. To Dumoulet, which she calls him by his last name, which I think is interesting. To Dumoulet, the greatest husband, father, teacher, student, business partner, business partner, lover, and friend I could ever ask for. Thank, for, thank you for all the things you have shown, taught, and given to me, our children, and our family. Thank you for teaching me how to forgive beings and give another chance not to be so quick to judge and write off. Thank you for showing me how not to be afraid to love and be the best person I could ever be. 
that came out new year's 2020 or new year's eve 2020 passing into 2021 and then it was learned that he had passed away actually on halloween you know two months two full months earlier than that and it just seemed like the perfect thing that this guy who was pretty famous in his own kind of neck of the world neck of the woods you know pretty famous in the hip-hop world would die with nobody knowing where he was, would die with nobody knowing he had died, would die in a different country, <laughs> and no one would ever give any reasons for why he died. Just that he would sort of kind of disappear. <laughs> like, he literally, as close as you can, I feel like, in the modern era, just disappeared. I don't know. I find it kind of amazing. And I feel like, of the celebrities who've died in my lifetime, he is the most likely one to maybe still be alive somehow. Uh, <laughs> and we are going to talk about that and what we think, uh, yeah. whether we think he might still be alive, what that might yeah. look like, why might he have faked his death? Who knows? Uh, know. That would be an interesting, if you wanted to get back into the United States. Uh, but mm. we are, uh, are going to talk about that on the After Dark yes. episode. Yes. which you can find at patreon.com slash art of dark pod. Brad, I want to thank you for yeah. walking us through that. The life of MF doom. We have one more question typically for each oh, yeah. episode. So yeah. I'm going to ask you this. You, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. You did a fabulous, fabulous job. And I can Thanks. tell it was very heartfelt yeah. and it is a bummer. Cause this guy, I mean, he was quite young, right? What, what, how 49 old? years old. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Man, I, you know, maybe he's maybe he's on that island with Epstein, giving maybe. Epstein a hard time. <laughs> he better, be, yeah, he be giving him. A yeah, hard time. it'd be better giving yeah. him a hard time. I'm not saying he's like with Jeff. Yeah, I'm saying he's giving Jeff a, a beat down. Yeah, yeah, verbal yeah. beat down. Right. Yeah, no. Um, what do you think MF Doom would be doing if he was still here? I want to hear the MF Doom album. That's all Aphex Twin samples. Hell yeah. That's what I want to hear. That would be great. <laughs> right? That's what I want to hear, man. It's all MF Doom. It's all Aphex Twin samples. And then like, I don't know, like some kind of like sci-fi sample, like samples from old science fiction movies and stuff too. And then just, you know, getting into weird wordplay on there. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear the next MF Doom album. Yeah, I don't MF think he ever would have really stopped, you know. COVID lockdown, Aphex Twin record. Yeah, and then yeah. some weird music video where it's him and the Aphex Twin guy. Yeah, yeah. That would be very cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a thing that may never happen. But then mm. again, it might because who knows? <laughs> we <laughs> may. I, what do we do? Do we delete this episode if he reappears <laughs> in two years? <laughs> yeah, no, we keep it up. It stays up. <laughs> well, you know what would be funny is we could, if we blow up, if this podcast starts to do yeah. even better numbers, yeah. we could get him on for a yeah, darkroom episode about himself. <laughs> <laughs> Just talking in the third person. And, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and then okay. I, yeah, and then I disappeared. Yeah, right. no, but he, he truly great artist. You've got to know him. This yeah. guy, even though he wasn't quote unquote an American citizen, he's mm -hmm. more American than most of us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Helped invent hip hop, which is a genre that continues to dominate popular music. He's mm -hmm. one of the progenitors, right? Mm -hmm. He's a, he really is. I mean, especially when you go back to that KMD, very early KMD yeah. stuff, man. Mm -hmm. It was 
it was groundbreaking for the time. And yeah, it maybe inventor kid. is too strong a word, but he yeah. definitely was a, a really big part of hip hop. And he mm-hmm. still is like, this mm-hmm. stuff is amazing. You got to listen to these albums. Mm-hmm. I'd say, listen to mad villainy, listen mm-hmm. to the Victor Vaughn album. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the, what, what's another one that people should listen yeah, to? Yeah. Born, born like this is great. Um, the uh, Danger Doom album is great. Um, wow. You can start yeah. there and you're, you're off nice. and running. Dude, also just go on YouTube, MF Doom fe- guest features because he did a ton of guest features on other people's stuff throughout the, throughout the, the 2000s and there are some real gems in there. So that's, yeah. that's worth, worth a look too. Dynamite. Brad Kelly, you're killing it. We are Art of Darkness. This show is not going anywhere. We are going into our second year, second year strong. When did we when did the first episode come out? February 1st, 2021. This is the first episode Mm -hmm. of year Year two. Speaking year two. Mm -hmm. And I want to congratulate you for listening because (laughs) you are you're so smart and ahead of the curve. Have such great taste. You've made it through this episode, and I want to congratulate you, Brad. Again, we we started a little Telegram uh, channel, a group. If you want to join, just go to the website, artofdarkpod.com. We also have a link for support there. If you go to uh, artofdarkpod.com slash support, you can send us Bitcoin. You can send Mm. us Ethereum. Send Mm -hmm. us funny internet money. Send us Mm -hmm. Floki. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in addition to that, the Patreon is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And Brad and I are going to disconnect now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put on some mad, like the Mad Villainy album in yeah. the background while we yeah. queue up the After Dark episode for Patreon subscribers. Brad, dude, Boom. you clearly dug deep for this one. I did. I did. I did. And it was great. Oh, and if you guys want to dig more uh, music, the music, obviously it's all there to listen to. But if you want to get more into the MF Doom's life, I can't recommend enough this podcast um, called Did I Ever Tell You the One About? This season is about MF Doom. I got a lot of this information from there, from other sources too, but, but it's really well done. It interviews a lot of the people that were involved in his life, and it, it's really good if you want to go, go a, a one layer deeper uh, than, than we went tonight. Yeah, that's so, awesome, man. Yeah. And if you want to hear Brad rap, you have got to subscribe to <laughs> Patreon. Oh, dude, Do you're going to... People are un, un-patreon, unpatreoning right now. Doom, get the cash. <laughs> <laughs> All right.